Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into Thursday's edition of Hoopsville. I'm your host, Dave McHugh, and we welcome you to the show. Uh, Division Three basketball all the time. We appreciate the support of D3Hoops.com. And, of course, the WBCA NAPC Studios is where you find us here on this Thursday evening. The segment of the show's theme is uh, the whole idea of taking the turn. A lot of conferences have either finished up conference action or for the first round, or ha- or about to finish up the first round of conference action. And as a result, they're taking the turn into the second round of things. And so that is certainly the topic that we're focusing on, teams that are rising to the top of conference play, and what else is going on. Of course, it's a Thursday show. It means we'll primarily focus on the Atlantic. I'm, I'm sorry, no, the East, the Mid-Atlantic, the Great Lakes, and the um, West regions. Um, we also have the WBCA Center Court. That is what we've got ahead. A couple of things, so lots to talk about tonight. We have a we have a full plate of guests, um, and by my timing, I can already figure out we're probably going to be into overtime. Uh, for you Hoopsville fans out there, we haven't done a lot of that this year, but we're certainly going to dive into that uh, th- tonight. If you have questions for us, I would say for a lot of our guests, a lot of them are unfortunately pre-taped tonight, but a couple of them are live. If you have questions, you can tweet us at D3Hoopsville or using the hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at d3hoops.com. And also join us on Facebook, facebook.com um, slash uh, Hoopsville. Of course, we are live streaming the simulcast there of our show, and so you can t- take advantage of that. You can also, if you want, tweet uh, or, or message us on our uh, YouTube thing if you happen to be directly on the YouTube we have our chat room there. Certainly, that is another option for you as well. So, um, <laughs> yeah, um, another crazy uh, day of, of basketball in, in Division Three on the on the women's side. Surprisingly enough, uh, not a lot of upsets. Uh, as Gordon Mann said uh, to me or, and to all of us, really behind the scenes um, earlier today or was last night. Th- there's a chance the top 25 goes undefeated this week in women's basketball. That's great for the voters. That's great for the top 25. We don't have any disruption. On the men's side, it was another bloody Wednesday, <laughs> for lack of a better description. Whitewater lost to Stevens Point. Believe it or not, Stevens Point, who was 5-6 and six entering WIAC play, I think, or 6-5, and five, is now undefeated in, in, in the conference and on top of the conference. It is a wide-open WIAC. We said it would be wide open. I expect we'll probably see a number of teams coming out of this conference Stevens Point was not the team I expected to see up there. I I think Stevens Point's a good team. It's always a well-coached team, good defensive unit. But what I saw in Vegas didn't blow me away as being a conference-dominating unit. That said, they're going to have to take the turn eventually here and play more conference games, and the teams are going to start figuring each other out. But everybody's beating everybody. So Whitewater lost to Stevens Point. Now they got lacrosse coming up on Saturday. Oshkosh lost to Platteville and have Eau Claire coming up this weekend. MIT took its second loss of the season to Springfield. Springfield, who's been pretty good, hasn't really played well against the top. Well, they beat MIT, uh, 68-65. River Falls lost to Lacrosse. Are you following the WIAC here? Everybody's beating everybody. John Carroll lost to Baldwin-Wallace by nine. Franklin and Marshall lost to Dickinson. So now go back and Franklin and Marshall. They have lost to Muhlenberg and Dickinson this week, in, in the past week, and beat Swarthmore. Um... Of course, this is the same Dickinson team that lost to Washington College in double overtime on Sunday at the Palestra. So that's the F&M team lost to Dickinson. So it's just craziness in the Centennial to some degree as well. Ohio Wesleyan, I I don't know what's happening. Um, I'm confused. It's almost like since we saw them in Vegas, they have uh, 
come off the rails a little bit. Lost to Wittenberg. I'm not overly surprised they lost to Wittenberg, but it wasn't close. 21 points. Wittenberg hung a 93 spot on them. Uh, I'm starting to lose faith in the battling bishops. In the receiving votes category, Wartburg seems to be coming off the rails. They lost Nebraska Wesleyan 99-60. Adrian uh, took its first loss in conference play. Of course, they were playing above themselves to begin with. Lost to Olivet 95 or 65-62. Juniata lost again in conference. It's time to Susquehanna. Keene State lost to Eastern Connecticut. Eastern Connecticut ranked higher, but another loss for uh, a receiving vote category in Keene State. And Bethel lost to St. Thomas. So craziness on the men's side. Again, women's side, very calm. But on the men's side, absolute craziness. We'll talk more about that throughout the show. We also have other things to talk about. <clears throat> Some great articles today, or really in the last couple of days, on d3hoops.com. Wonderful article on Marymount women's basketball. Wonderful article today posted um, talking about uh, Claire Marburger, the, um, the uh, All-American from Luther, and her battle with clinical depression. It is an outstanding article, a must-read article in my point. Uh, in my point of view. Also a great article uh, posted about Hobart, um, though I don't think it's on our front page. It will be eventually. So wonderful stories. Go get ahead and check them out. Guests tonight, we will quickly mention as we start getting ready to get into the show, um, Bobby Hurley, the head coach of the Stevens men's basketball team, will be joining us shortly. Chris Hoffman from the number nine DePaul women's basketball team will be joining us. Then we'll talk to Polly Thomason, the Texas-Dallas women's coach. From the, uh, she's a member of the WBCA Center Court segment. She's also a member of the WBCA uh, board. She's also on the national committee for regional and national rankings and selections and all that stuff. Um, a very busy woman. We will talk to her about the team and even about the ASC and her changing perspective of the ASC and Texas on a, on a large level. Uh, we'll also talk to Matt Logie uh, from the seventh-ranked Whitworth Pirates, and then Ashley Rogers from, from Marymount Women's Basketball will join us. That's all ahead. But the NCAA convention is going on <clears throat> as we speak, and this is something the last couple of years, <clears throat> excuse me, that you've noticed that we've gone to. Couldn't make it happen this year, kicking ourselves. Indianapolis is outstanding and, and would love to be there, and a bunch of our friends are certainly there. Uh, but no chance to go this year. There is some basketball legislation at the table, though. One of the, one of the items is whether to extend the beginning of the season by a week. In other words, start the season earlier, starting November 8th instead of November 15th. <clears throat> Excuse me. The caveat to that being, like we have with the 15th right now, if the 8th falls on a Sunday or a Monday, they can start on a Friday or a Saturday. Uh, actually, I think even if it falls on a Saturday, they can start on the previous Friday. So the season could start as early as, as November 6th or even 5th, I believe. We'll double check. However... A lot, lot to discuss. Will this even pass is the big question. Well, joining us on the City of uh, city of Salem Hoopsville Hotline from Indianapolis at the convention is the Assistant Commissioner of the Colonial States Athletic Conference, the CSAC, our good friend of the show. It is James Wagner. Sir, thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Dave, for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, first, let's get to this, this topic of starting the season earlier. We should point out that if they do this, if it's passed, we're not going to start practices sooner. We will cut into practice time to some degree uh, by a week. So October 15th will still be our start. But you've gotten a chance at the convention to talk with people. I think there has even been a commissioner's meeting already. What's the sense of whether this is something that will pass or not pass? Well, we had our commissioner's meeting, Dave, this morning. What we do in our commissioner's meeting is we talk about the potential legislation that is on the docket for the vote. Uh, for those of you that do know the convention, the, the, the Division Three business session is Saturday morning um, at 8 o'clock. So there are nine proposals this year, one of them being the basketball start date. 
And as of right now, as a straw poll this morning, again, it's just a straw poll. It can change in 24 hours. Uh, this looks like that this will pass. Um, again, uh, from what the discussion that we had, um, it seems like most conferences are in favor of it. And there were some conferences that um, have abstained that they have discussed that the majority, if not all the conferences, will have their meetings tomorrow in the afternoon after the issues form, um, which is in the morning, which, will again, we'll discuss all nine legislative items. Um, but for right now, from what I've been told and what from, from the pulse of the room here, it looks like that that is going to pass and be in effect. Well, it's interesting because there's a couple of commi- uh, conferences like the NESCAC and recently the Centennial who don't allow practices to start till later in the year. Have you gotten any sense from like a NESCAC, for example, if they're for or against this in the sense of how much this will disrupt the schedule for on their end? I, I haven't talked to, to the NESCAC per se, but of course with the Centennial, of course being the Centennial for the last, you know, couple of eight years I was in that conference. Um, again, what, if this passes, then you will see in the summer um, what, uh, when, when conferences have their retreat, maybe they discuss how they flex their basketball schedule out. The background story on this, Dave, is that this will allow certain conferences that have, like, maxed out basketball schedules yeah. to, to have one more conference game in that fall, um, fall session. So that kind of relieves the schedule a little bit where if you have a lot of travel, you can punch one, um, one conference game back into the fall. Um, that way you're not overloaded as you come back from winter break. Yeah, I think that's the big key here is we see more and more conferences, and you certainly know it as an assistant commissioner of a conference, where the schedules have started to, 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 to drift into the fall more and more. The bigger conferences certainly have less and less room. The Centennial Conference has started the Tuesday before Thanksgiving on several occasions. And it, and it feels like the, the out-of-conference schedule is now getting tighter and tighter to fit in, whether it's before conference play to at least get a couple of games warmed up before the season, you know, before you get to really important games, or around exam period and trying to slot them in to certain areas while also taking the time off that the NCAA requires that some worry about with the ECAC. This is really a chance to try and free things up and not play so many games in a tight window. Is that right? That is correct. That allows flexibility for your schedule to crack it back uh, one extra week and, and slide it on a conference game back one more whack into the fall semester. That way you're not freshman certain apples to play a three-game week um, coming into the winter. Again, as I said earlier, it, it looks like this is going to pass, and what is going to happen is uh, when it passes, you will have every conference in America or Division three in their you know spring meeting discuss what kind of changes we want to make to the basketball schedule. Um I will put my conference in an example is that my concern right now, and I think the concern of every other conference in this country is if we start on November 8th, how does that affect fall championships? Because a lot of our fall championships, if not all of them, are on that weekend before basketball. So now you can have a scenario where, and I will just use an example, I'll use one of my schools. Let's say Centenary University hosts um, both soccer and field hockey and maybe volleyball. Now they've got four championships. And what do they have a men's basketball game scheduled against Stockton University that day? Right. You know, what does that do to the staff? What does that do to, um, you know, the institution that has the four championships, the flexibility of that game? Again, it's a non-conference game, but that becomes your opener. What does that do for tip-off tournaments? What right. does that do with, um, you know, tip-off tournaments are usually the first weekend is not the second weekend. Okay, now you crack it back to November 8th. Um, you know, you're going to have a, a tip-off tournament where you may have a team that's playing for a championship and then you have a, a, a home game the following week when your team's in the NCAA tournament. So there is a lot that's going to be on the table if this does pass. Again, 
The straw poll was that it was going to pass. That could change within 24 hours by the time we get to the business session. And for those of you who followed along last year, you do know that the the period of reconciliation, uh, reconsideration is gone. So if this does die on the floor, there is no bringing this back until next year. Yeah, interesting. I want to get to the re- reconciliation in a moment. But the big key I found interesting there was, or with all of this is, you do it could change. All the reasons you just brought up are reasons that schools could then get into the conversation, whether it be tomorrow at conference meetings or on Friday at the business session, and say, listen, this is getting too much into crossover season. You know, this is getting too complicated. Granted, other divisions already have a bigger crossover, and D1 has just approved to move their season start um, about five days sooner. Um, right. It's now going to start the Tuesday before this second Friday of the year, so ten days or ten, roughly ten days into the uh, into November. Um, you, you are obviously as a conference commissioner, you can understand this to some degree, but at the same time, there's nothing that limits this to saying to a conference or to schools that they can't also put their own limitations in place. You could still, as a conference, say, listen, this may have passed, but as a conference, we don't like it. We're not going to start a date or a school says, yeah, we've got X, Y, and Z going on. You can play, but you better be on the road. Exactly. We could, we could have each conference make a decision, excuse me, where, you know, if this does pass, and like I said, I think it's going to, what you want to do as a conference. For us, and I'm not, I can't speak for all 12 of my schools, right. is that if it does pass, we will let them know that, okay, starting in 1819, this is our championship weekend. If you host the championship, like you said, you better be on the road. The championship will take the priority in your gym. So if you have a game center for 1 o'clock, guess what? It's getting moved to Sunday or it's getting moved to Monday. Right. So that's the main argument right now is that you're butting up against championship. You already have it in the winter with lacrosse. Now, men's lacrosse is not really that much of a big deal because it starts usually the last weekend of basketball, so you're able to work your way around that. But now you're creeping into a championship period um, where you have more flexibility, where you don't have a lot of flexibility, um, especially when you have a a champion, uh, a fall sport that plays in a gym. Like in the spring, lacrosse isn't playing in the gym. Right. But now in the fall, you have volleyball that can potentially host the game. So. There's going to be a lot to discuss at this past again. Tomorrow morning is the, is the issues forum right. where this will come up, and and the, the the schools that the conferences that sponsored it will you know say their piece, and then people will say, well, this is why it's not good, and then we go forward on Saturday and we talk about it, and then it's voted upon. We should also point out that on uh, there is a men's volleyball in the spring, but it's on a much smaller scale than women's volleyball, so it doesn't have the same conflict. You mentioned reconciliation, something I certainly have gotten used to, but it is something that's changed. For those who don't know, bills that are at least relatively close, within a certain margin, get to be reconsidered if they can drum up enough support to do it and a revote takes place. They've gotten rid of that, and, and what's the reasoning behind that? I, I think one of the reasons, of course, this is my second year, and that was gotten rid of last year, is one of the things that does happen is when that session is over, when all nine, like let's say there's nine, eight or nine amendments are voted upon. Right. When they're voted upon, a majority, not let's say a majority, but a minority of people will leave because they've got early flights to catch back Significant to the number, yeah. Significant number. So what has happened in the past is that when it comes up for reconsideration, one-third of the room is gone. Yeah. So there is no, you know, and I, I, I've had it where the schools have, you know, they vote for all nine and they say we've got a, a 1220 flight to get back to Philadelphia. We're leaving. And now this, you know, we get through our 
uh, bill voting, and if it were done by 10 o'clock, people can go to the airport and catch their flights. Yeah. Um, with reconsideration, you run the risk of one-third of the room being gone, and something that may not have gotten passed may now get passed because they're, the majority of people who voted against it are gone. Yeah, true. Um, fascinating way of working things out. We could go into the weeds on that, too. I've got other thoughts, but not, not worth it tonight. We'll look forward to seeing how this trans uh, transpires. We'll keep you up to date on Twitter. Uh, I know Wags and some other people I have there will be keeping us up to date on, on if this changes, but we'll see how this progresses. It could start November 8th, starting next year. Hey, while I've got you here, you guys at the CSAC just announced, what is it, the uh, second annual or third annual? Um, no, this is the first. This is the first time we're doing it. We're doing a challenge with the oh, city it's the of first New York. time. Okay. Yeah, I, first I, time, yeah. I remember you guys doing something in the past. Maybe I'm just confusing myself. But um, right. you're, you're doing a battle here with the CUNY uh, conference, the CUNYAC, uh, where basically some of the CUNYAC and some of the CSAC will be playing each other on a date that was predetermined. Give us a little sense here of this battle. This is a, a, you, you were used to maybe seeing some of this in the beginning of the year. That's not official. This is really an official thing late in the year. Yes, exactly. So, um, last year during our, um, our end of the year coaches meeting, John Barron came to me, the coach at Glenn and Mercy, and said, we would like to do this with the city of New York office and talk to John uh, Alisi, who is the coach at uh, Baruch College in New York. And uh, we, you know, gave him the background of what he wanted to do. I brought it forward to the athletic directors in the, the summer in our spring retreat. They said it was okay. So what we did is, is we told all of our schools to – uh, not schedule one non-conference game. We're going to do it on February 3rd. Um, and throughout the year, we kept an eye on what each conference was doing. Now, they have nine and we have ten. Uh, this year, we excluded Park Summit because they uh, last year finished in 10th place. So they uh, were not part of this. Um, so what we did is, as we got closer to the year, we to maximize the SOS right, the schedule, we are both in the Atlantic region. What we did is we took the... Um, the overall records to maximize the SOS one through nine. So as of uh, January 15th, we actually had a conference game, uh, Keystone and Rosemont that day, which Coach Barney, who once again is doing a great job at Rosemont, as I always say, um, beat uh, Keystone that night, and we did our standings one through nine, sorted by overall record. I went through to the City of New York conference and got them one through nine for their record. So we have a matchup of nine schools. Um, that are going to play uh, an opponent that uh, they might have played during the year, but they didn't schedule. There are no repeat matchups. So our top game, our number one seed is Glenn and Mercy, coached by John Barron. We'll be playing Lehman at Neiman on uh, February 3rd at 1 o'clock. So we are hosting games at Newman, Rosemont, Immaculata, Cairn, and Centenary because the college, uh, city of New York College cannot host, so they'll come to uh, Hackerstown, New Jersey. And then schools uh, one, three, five, and seven, which is uh, Newman, uh, Marywood, and I have another one in there. Keystone will be going to the city of New York to play a game. And this is just a chance for a student athlete experience, uh, kind of like a bracket buster kind of thing. You know, they're going to have this opponent now two weeks out uh, to prepare. So a team that they may not have played during the year, they'll get to play. But, uh, you know, we've got Gwen Murphy who's having a great year at this Cabrini. Um, and they'll be playing Layman in Staten Island. So Tubman, Matthews, Aaron Newman will be playing Hunter. Uh, so that will help the SOS. And, again, it's an in-region game because we're playing a team of the Atlantic region. So uh, kudos to both Johns uh, and, of course, Zach at the Cody, who I've been working with hand-in-hand. Um, and my boss, A.J. Mulligan, who got the 80s support uh, behind it, and the 80s were all for it. They said no problem. We voted on it in, in March and in May. It was all good uh, that they were allowed to do this. And uh, we got it together. It's a good partnership. Uh, I like working with Zach at the City of New York Conference. He's a great guy. I met him 
uh, actually at the convention last year when we voted to do this, and uh, him and I have been talking hand-in-hand about some other things uh, related to our conference and how we can help each other in the Atlantic region. So uh, this is going to be a great thing. We're also going to uh, take some donations for Coaches versus Cancer. Um, it's actually the weekend before. Our weekend is the weekend after the actual Coaches versus Cancer weekend. But uh, to come to any of the games in New York, any of the games here in Pennsylvania, we're going to ask for a donation for Coaches versus Cancer. And it's going to be uh, it's going to be a good time. I'm actually going up to Lehman uh, to watch our, our Griffins play uh, up there, and it's going to be a fun time. Very cool. Uh, a little New York versus Philly kind of flavor to it, though it's not a perfect fit, but it's kind of got that flair to it uh, with the CSAC having so many Philly schools. So, uh, cool idea. Looking forward to seeing you. That's February 3rd. If you want more information, you can go to the csacsports.org website where they've got a link for it. Hey, Wags, thanks so much for your time, sir. Appreciate the update from the uh, convention as well. As always, we give our guests the final word. Any final thoughts for those out there? Yeah, a couple of things. One, Dave, I'd like to congratulate uh, Julia. Julie from the Emma, from MIT, her last name, I don't want to mispronounce it. She was awarded the uh, yes. Summit Award today. And, uh, you know, a great staff at MIT. She's done a great job um, with that program, and uh, she's got a good staff. And I wanted to congratulate her on that. I met her last year, actually, at the issues forum. And um, I'm a good friend with her SIV, uh, Ken Johnson. And uh, what she has done at MIT and what she's done for her individual athletics, she's well deserving of this award. So I would like to congratulate her. And MIT, of course, the men's basketball team. Has done a great job this year. You don't want to sleep on MIT. They've done very, very well. Uh, I'd like to see that matchup against New Jersey City. I think that'd be a really good game. But yeah. uh, you know, MIT has done really well. And uh, you know, of course, I'll talk about quickly. You know, as you reported with our conference losing uh, five members at the end of the year. Um, you know, the conference has done great things this year with our 12 members, and we are going to be okay. Uh, we've got some potential members coming in, and the CSAC is going to be good. And, uh, you know, it's been a great year. Our 12 members have worked together to have, uh, you know, some good championships, and they're going to continue to do that uh, throughout the winter and spring. But, uh, you know, it's been a great year for the CSAC, and the CSAC will continue on, and uh, we'll do great things. But, uh, you know, we're excited for this challenge of the City of New York Conference, and uh, it's going to be a good time. Very good, sir. Yep, I will look forward to seeing how the CSAC evolves, and we're really looking forward to this matchup. Have fun the rest of your time in Indy, and we'll look forward to talking to you down the road. I'm sure we'll chat with you about the Atlantic region. Absolutely, Dave. Thank you for the time. Appreciate Thanks, it. buddy. Take care. James right. Wagner, Assistant Commissioner of the CSAC, once again joining us again. It looks like this uh, schedule for the men's basketball moving forward a week, so starting the season a week earlier, though not affecting practice time. We will still no, start no earlier than October 15th. Looks like that may pass. Again, a lot can change in 24 hours when they even have just the meeting it, itself to talk about issues, the business meeting that takes place on Friday mornings at the convention, and it could still change by the time we get to Saturday morning when they vote, but we'll see, and we'll keep track of it. You can follow us on Twitter as we keep track of it as well. And, of course, the CSAC CUNYAC uh, uh challenge coming up as well you gonna take a break when we come back we'll get to our guests we're going to start off with stevens speaking of the atlantic region we will t- uh, of course they're really the east region but they're located <laughs> somewhat in the atlantic region uh we'll talk to stevens men's basketball about their resurgent year back in the conversation especially atop the empire eight you're listening to hoops hope presented by d3hoops.com from the wbca and abc studios more hoops will after this i did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school i got the presidential scholarship which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. 
My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us. To look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us. All of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, from the WBCA NABC studios and presented by D3Hoops.com. Let's get to our guests, and we'll start off in the East region. We're going to start in the Empire 8. Bobby Hurley's got his team with the Stevens Ducks back in the conversation. It, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about this team on a national level. They were 22-6 and six back in 2012-2013 season. They were an 18-22 to 22 win season for a number of years before they seemed to disappear. They are back, but it seems to have a different flavor to it. We talked to Coach Bobby Hurley earlier today about his team and what he's seeing from his Duck squad. Now joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline, head coach of Stevens, it's Bobby Hurley. Thanks, Coach, for taking the time. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here today. Absolutely. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, you and I discussed off-air briefly, and we kind of talked about it in the early part. Kind of snuck past me. We haven't talked to you guys in a little while. And, and to be honest, you know, kind of disappeared from the national conversation. You always had been in the... East conversation, but disappeared from the national conversation to some degree. You reading the tea leaves, it looks like you're kind of reemerging in that conversation. If we're not talking about Stevens and the regional rankings, should they re have come out, you know, now, I'd be pretty surprised. Yeah, we're we're excited where we are, you know, at this point in the season. Um, we did have some tough tough years the last couple couple years. Um, last year we were uh, nineteen and eight, and, and now sitting at twelve and three. So we're excited where we are, you know, in, in this year, you know, for our program. Yeah, the bounce back last year at nineteen and eight, uh, kind of the the statement back of "Hey, remember us?" <laughs> After a couple of subpar seasons, what's been the what's been the turnaround for you guys? Again, we were kind of used to a run there of what about five or six seasons where it was eighteen plus wins a season, top of the E eight in national conversations, in NCAA tournament conversations, and then you went through that twelve, thirteen, twelve, fourteen seasons. What's been the catalyst to bring the program back? I think the, the, for us, it's been our depth. Um, the last couple of years, we've been able to, you know, play multiple guys and not really depend solely on one or two guys. Um, you know, in this year's team, we're able to play 12, 13 guys. So I think the last two years, we've been able to play, you know, so many more guys and just have that depth that we didn't have those years before. 
Depth certainly is key. A lot of teams will say that. Your depth seems to be underclassmen. So you're making this turn, but you only are starting one senior and two more coming off the bench. This is a, a very, not very young team, but it seems to be a young-orientated team to some degree. This is this is really what the the Stevens' future looks like, too. Uh, it's not more It's more than just this year is what I'm trying to get at. Yes, I mean we get we get great contributions from you know pretty much everybody, um, our seniors included. But overall, it's it's still a pretty young group with, you know, majority of our minutes being our sophomores and juniors. Um, but we still get great leadership, you know, and minutes from those uh, three seniors that we do have. Uh, Spencer Cook, the sophomore, leading the way at 18 points a game. He's your only guy in double figures. Um, also pulling down about four rebounds a game, handing out nearly two assists a game. Uh, Frank Amari at nine points, uh, Jason Winnick at eight points, uh, Kevin Florio at seven and a half, along with Michael uh, Zignorski. One thing that jumps out to me is while you're putting up 82 points a game, outside of Cook, there isn't anybody who seems to have a dominating offensive stat line. No, we, we try to, you know, mix it up. And, you know, for a lot of our games, we've had different, you know, leading scores, which, you know, for us is what we want. Um, you know, hopefully it makes it harder for other coaches to scout us. And, you know, we have different guys that can show up, you know, pretty much every night. So you know, I think that that helps with our, you know, our depth of our, our team this year. And when you look at what you've done so far uh, with this squad and the depth you have, and again, you're talking, geez, double figure uh, games. You've got what, geez, 12, 13 guys who played in double figure games. Uh, most of that's 13 of 15. Is that an easier thing to work with as a coach that you've got depth, you can always go to the bench, or is that harder because you've got to keep more guys kind of involved? Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, there's some games where I wish the games were longer. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it seems like you know we, we, we aren't able to get enough guys enough minutes, so it, it, it's a challenge you know, on both ends. But our guys have been great. They've really bought in. Um, and where we really put our effort and energy is on the defensive end, and being able to play 12, 13 guys and have them buy into we're going to, you know, play pretty hard defense and give our maximum effort on that end, you know, it's really helped us out. Yeah, 13 guys, it turns out you're playing in 13 of the 15 games, and 11 of those 13 are getting double-digit minutes, so playing at least a quarter of the game. So you're rotating quite a bit. Um, I'm sure that is a statistician and a public address announcer's love uh, of the CU uh, rotating guys constantly. I, I have a feeling that's I kind of remember from when we've talked in the past, that's not necessarily a new thing, but is it evolved or has it changed in any way? Um, for us, you know, just being able to get to 10, 11, 12, even 13 guys, you know, we've, we've been able to probably play eight, nine, 10, you know, minutes, but maybe those eight, nine and 10 only get 10 to 15 minutes where, you know, it's, which we've really extended that to 12, 13 guys, um, which again, it, it can be a challenge at times. And, you know, I think it was tough for our guys early to um, understand the style of play we were, we're going to play this year. And, you know, you play 20 minutes one game, you may play 15 the next. And, you know, it was a challenge for them. But, you know, they've, like I said, they've really bought in. And, you know, I think it's helped us. And, and hopefully, you know, in the next few weeks, our, our bodies will be in good condition. And, and we won't be as banged up if guys were playing, you know, 30, 35 minutes a game. Are you getting what you want accomplished defensively? You're averaging 72 points a game. Teams are shooting 40% from the floor, 30% from the arc. Your foul shooting defense is outstanding, 63.5%. Uh, you're out-rebounding your opponents by 4.5. But, again, some of those numbers seem high. Is the defense accomplishing what you want to accomplish? 
yes, right, right now we're, you know, we're where we want to be. Um, you know, I think that's kind of where we struggled maybe the last few years is, is defensively. You know, we weren't as great as we were, you know, the years where we were pretty good. Um, you know, those years we were kind of trying to outscore teams. Where this, this year we're just trying to get stops and, you know, let our offense kind of figure itself out. Um, just really trying to focus, again, on that defensive end because, you know, guys going for four or five minutes, they can give great energy and, and know they're going to get a breather and the next guy is going to come in and play, you know, four or five minutes of great defense. So it's really helped us, you know, get back to that de- defensive mindset. For a lot of guys, it's checking the ego at the door then. Yes, I mean, we, we've got great kids. You know, I'm lucky to coach, you know, the, the, the kids that we have. Um, again, they, they've really bought in and, you know, they really cheer for each other. And that's, it's, it's exciting to see, you know, on a daily basis. So this season, you said had trouble buying in. You started losing three of your first five. Lost in New Jersey City by four. Of course, a team that's getting a lot of a national attention out of the end, Jack. Uh, beat Suffolk in overtime. Then you uh, had Williams, and unfortunately at their place, Williams uh, showed you guys the door by 18. You beat FDU Florham, and then you lost to Rutgers Newark. That's a bit of a rough start, but have you been able to what have you been able to build out of that? What have you learned out of that that has has progressed now to what is about a 13-game winning streak? Well, I think it's our guys just adjusting to the way we were going to play this year. I think those first few games, you know, them not understanding if I'm going to play 25 minutes a game, am I going to play 15? You know, so really I think it was the adjustment period um, those first few weeks. And, and the last few weeks we figured it out and guys have – understood and, and just really figured out how how the style was going to work for us and i shouldn't say 13 straight we haven't you don't even have that many wins on the season uh, no. <laughs> it is 10 straight um you're working your way towards that number of course yeah it hasn't been easy conference play has has been challenging uh, to some degree of course catholic you got to win past them uh and some other teams but your last time out against hartwick Apparently, you almost played a whole second, a whole third half of basketball, 106-104 in trip overtime. Of course, that game at Hartwick, which is a hard place to get to and play, yeah. especially from your vantage point. But that's also a good barometer game for you guys. That's one that can check yourselves a little bit and understand you're going to have a battle every night, but at the same time shows you you can get past a team. Yeah, I think you know our last two games have really come down to the wire. and you know I've been really pleased with our guys to be able to find ways to win in close games and we were trailed against sage um two nights prior to the hartwick game and you know guys just stayed with it and you know luckily we we came out with a win and and kind of the same with hartwick you know we'd go up four they'd come down and tie it up it was just really back and forth for pretty much 55 minutes so yeah um, just really excited for our guys to to be able to find a way and you know kind of stay with it and, and luckily we escaped you know with a victory of course, we're not done with conference play here. Uh, you got Nazareth coming up this weekend and St. John Fisher at home. Uh, you then have the game against Sage on the road. You'll close out the month against Hartwick. So you have an interesting di- uh, dynamic here where you'll play Sage and Hartwick almost immediately after you play them. It's almost the conference kind of flips uh, to some degree, uh, almost like the UAA. You won't play Nazareth and St. John Fisher immediately, but you kind of have a, a mirror image of your of your previous run through the conference, meaning – Games against Utica will come at the end, even though you played them early on. Is that hard to get the guys focused? I mean, hey, remember this team. This one's easy. But then when you get to the Utica game, it goes, so remember we played Utica a while ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I think when it comes to conference games, everybody remembers everything. So 
I don't know if guys will forget anything, you know, down the road, whether it's next week or, or the week after. Um, you know, we're just trying to take it game by game. I think every game is, is going to be difficult. You know, our, our league is pretty strong, and, and the effort that every team, you know, comes out and plays with, you know, is terrific. And I think all of our, our teams are well coached, so there's no really gimme games in our conference. So you have to be able to, you know, come to play pretty much every night. You talk about the conference. Uh, a lot of eyes on St. John Fisher to start the season. They they had uh, obviously the coaching change, but coming off of a really solid season the year before, really a bunch of solid seasons, kind of representing the Empire Eight. But this year they're eight and six, three and two, a good team who just hasn't put it together yet. But you find yourselves on top of the conference by a game over Nazareth, two in the win column. Alfred's right behind at four and two. Uh, Utica's lurking with St. John Fisher at three and two in the conference. It feels like it, the, a little bit of a different Empire Eight than I'm used to seeing. We're seeing some names up there that we haven't seen before. Yeah, I just think that goes to the depth of you know our conference. I I think it's probably too early to tell you know at this point. But you know, like I said earlier, it, it, it's it's not easy every night, and and I think the the depth of our conference has improved, and you know each game is a challenge. So. Um, who knows really how it's going to shake out these next, you know, three four weeks. It'll be interesting to see, you know, who who, who positions themselves um, for the top four. Sage enters the conference too at somewhat the last minute uh, this season. How much did that throw a, a, a monkey wrench into everything, including what you had already set up for non-conference play? Well, for us, it might be the closest conference uh, yes. <laughs> team, so True. that actually helps us um, just for our travel yeah. considerations. Fair point. Um, but again, we're we're, we're going to play pretty much anybody, so it really didn't change, you know, much of anything for our scheduling or our opponents. It just, you know, gives us a closer conference opponent. You didn't lose, didn't have games that you had to go punt because you now picked up two conference games? No, just because of losing um, Ithaca. So sure. We're all kind of okay. Balanced out. All right. Yeah. I, I just sometimes I coaches try and get ahead of it, then all of a sudden they're behind it, and some coaches who are behind it lucked out because it worked out. So I was just kind of curious. Yeah, we, we we were safe in that in that aspect. Sure. Um. So what's you know what's the message to the team as it were? You you've got a, a a whole mess of games still to play. Some kind some teams don't have a lot. You guys still have a significant chunk of team games. You've only played fifteen. Um, and so technically you've got nine or 10 games left here before you even get into conference action. So you're going about, you're about to enter what is, or you're in what is basically a grind. How do you keep the guys fresh? How do you keep them focused? And what's the message to them? Well, I think it's, you know, again, conference play is, is difficult and every game's a challenge and we're going to take it one game at a time. And, you know, hopefully the way we play guys are excited, um, because we're going to play a lot of guys, and as long as they give great effort, great energy, and, and really focus on the defensive end, I think we have a chance to compete you know, pretty much every night. And home court, you mentioned being one of the furthest teams outside the Empire 8's footprint, as it were, is going to be important. The next two are at home. Um, pretty even balance between home games and away. I think you got one extra home than you do away in the, the rest of this run here. You want to protect home court, I'm sure. That's kind of the easiest way to get to locking up this conference. Yes, we're we're excited, you know, especially for this weekend to be playing at home because we haven't played a ton of home games. You know, most of our non-conference games were on the road, so you know it's exciting to be back, you know, playing at home. Um, and actually, school's in session, so there you go. there'll be a little more students. So 
all that excitement uh, playing. But, you know, wherever the game is, you know, hopefully our guys are going to be excited to play and, you know, bring, bring great energy and, and effort. That's, that's pretty much all we, uh, you know, ask for our guys. Well, look forward to seeing how this closes out, including a fun and exciting Empire 8 race, and then see where you guys get slotted in in the region in a few weeks as well. Coach, appreciate you taking the time to talk about the Ducks. Uh, as always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who uh, may be tuning in? Um, again, just uh, thanks for having me, um, and, and we appreciate everything you know. D three hoops dot com and and your show Hoopsville, you know, does for Division three basketball and and all of our uh, our student athletes. So you know, thanks to you guys. Well, thank you, Coach. Appreciate the kind words. Enjoy the rest of the way, uh, including the games this weekend, and we'll look forward to talking to you down the road. Maybe not, Excellent. maybe in a less time than three years. How's that sound? Yes, yes. Perfect. Coach, take care. We'll talk soon. He is Bobby Hurley, head coach of Stevens. Again, team against Nazareth and St. John Fisher. They are 12-3, in conference play, but a lot to play for still to come. Empire 8 heating up. It's going to be an interesting race. Again, we've watched St. John Fisher the last few years. Uh, you've got them in the mix. You've got others in the mix that haven't necessarily been in the mix. Empire 8 is going to be a fun one to watch this season. Uh, keep an eye on that in the East region. Going to take another break. When we come back, we'll switch to the Great Lakes region and talk to one of the winningest programs since the mid-1990s. I kid you not. They are synonymous with winning, though they only have one championship. We'll talk to Chris Huffman, head coach of the DePaul women's basketball team. You're listening to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports. We've got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Uh, we're on this Thursday edition, calling the show, uh, taking the turn, talking about turning the corner in the conference races, as it were. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, hoopsville at D3Hoops.com, or join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. All easy ways you can interact with us. We hope 
you will take full advantage of them. Going to switch into women's basketball now. Talk to a team that's certainly uh, synonymous with winning. A mind-blowing stat that I read today. Since the beginning of 1995-96, the Tigers are 555-92 for an 860 winning percentage. That's the best in Division Three. period. They actually passed Wash U in that category this year. DePaul women's basketball has always won. Whether they've gone away gotten to the top is debatable, but they're consistent year after year after year. They are going to win. They're going to play well, and we're probably going to have Chris Huffman on the show. So lo and behold, and, and shocking to absolutely nobody, uh, we have Chris Huffman on the show. And joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline, it is the head coach of the DePaul Tigers, Chris Huffman. Coach, uh, welcome to Hoopsville. How are you? <laughs> not bad. How are you doing? I'm not. I'm not <laughs> bad myself. Not bad myself. Um, you got to be pretty thrilled with how uh, your team has uh, once again started off 16 and one on the season. Uh, your one loss coming to ironically wash you, um, but since then pretty much rolled through. You've beaten the likes of Williams, Worcester. Uh, you've beaten some other solid teams like Rose Holman in a low scoring affair, Stevens Point, which is always a good battle. You got past Ohio Wesley at the beginning of January. You got them coming up. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but another great start to the season. Well, and, and we certainly will take it. And, and I didn't <laughs> think we'd be sitting here at 16 and 1. We, we have this blend of old and new that we're, we're trying to um, you know, keep pushing and, and, and get better. And so they have responded. Um, so I'm really proud of them. You know, I think we're a, a good team and not a great team, but they, they're ready on game day and they play hard. And I think that's what the difference is, Coach, isn't it? it? That if you may not have a great team, and not all the great teams win, to be blunt, um, sometimes it is the good teams that just put it together in the right way. It, which is more fun to coach? And I know it's a loaded question. The, the good teams that seem to excel and maybe rise above expectations or the great teams that you know what's going what's gonna to happen? Oh, gosh. You know, I, I always feel like game day is an adventure. <laughs> I'm never really sure what's going to happen. You know, okay. So I guess it's always the mystery that I'm ready to, to see at 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's an adventure, Coach, I don't want to see your, your blood pressure. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. It, this is a program. I mean, this is going to get old. Last year, 27-3. and three. Year before, 22-7. and seven. 2014-15 was 26-3. and three. You had back-to-back 31 seasons, including the national championship in 2013 at 34-0. I remember watching that game on hand. It was spectacular to win that championship. 27-2 and two the year before that. 25-4, and 26-4, and 22-6, and 28-4, and 31-3. And we were talking about consistent winning from this program. You're in your 25th year. You've been winning since you got there. I know it doesn't get old, but how do you keep it how do you keep it at that at that level? I mean, that's got to be hard to do when you're constantly rolling over the roster. Well, you know, you really never know what you're going to get year to year. Um, and, you know, I think some of the fundamentals that we, we preach day in and day out from the moment they walk in the door, you know, defense, rebounding, take care of the basketball, hit your free throws, lends itself to some, some consistent basketball. It doesn't always mean you're going to win the game, but I think sure. you can be in a lot of games if you're good in those areas. And that's what we strive to do day in and day out is, is be really good in those areas. And so I've got some young women and coaching staff that we've really bought into kind of that message and that preparation, and, and it's uh, knock on wood. You know, it's, it's been pretty consistent for us. Um, yeah, it's been consistent might be the understatement. Um, consistency has been synonymous, and that's kind of what this all gets at. You know, again – 
you have the national championship, and I know you'd have, love to have more, but you're currently seventh in free throw percentage. You're eighth in rebounding. You're seventh in turnovers. You have four players in double figures. Um, there's a lot you're doing right this year. What's been the secret this season? Well, you know, we've got a, a group that we can put on the floor that we're in some ways hard to guard because we can score in a lot of different places. I think we're still trying to find ourselves defensively a little bit, which is um, it's probably usually our strength. Uh, so we're a little bit behind where we'd like to be. Um, but I think the, the upperclassmen um, bringing the young ones along, we've got some freshmen that are on the floor making a difference for us, and they're blending in really, really nicely. So I always think that leadership on the floor makes a big difference when you're bringing in those young ones to be there on game day. When you tackle this team and say to them, okay, here's what we need to do and, and, and get ready for a game. Is this a tough love team where you got to give it to them with, with a little bit of tough love, or is this a team that you can kind of massage and, and manage and maybe be a little more gentle with? You know, they don't, they don't mind the challenge. And so mm -hmm. I really do enjoy coaching this group because they, they want to try to be great. They want to try to get better every day. And as cliche as that sounds, uh, they really, um, that's one of their goals that they've set forward. So we can get after them pretty good as a coaching staff and continue to set the bar high and be demanding and oh. tell them that that possession wasn't good enough. And then you always know at those times when you need to, need to back off. But right now, this team, is they're pretty driven. They're pretty hungry. Um, and each individual, they really are striving to be a little bit better each day. So, you know, kind of a coach's dream right now to coach this group. <laughs> so it, it doesn't happen this way all the time, that's for sure. Well, of course, it doesn't happen all the time. And, again, we just rattled off all those 20-plus win seasons uh, that you had. But you're right, 16-1 and one at this point. You're 8-0 and oh in the conference. There's a level of clicking along. Your only loss is a two-point loss to Wash U. What happened in that game? What did you learn from that game? Well, you know, I thought we were kind of sputtering offensively before that game, and I felt like we finally uh, perhaps played some team offense. So that was good to see in that Washington game. But our rebounding was steady, um, and I thought we were a little bit better defensively because we had really been struggling. So I think that was a game that, that maybe they, they learned themselves that, hey, we can play. Uh, and we have a chance to get better here this year. We have a chance to be a, you know, a, a good team. So I think the light bulb in, in many ways went off. Even with that loss, um, they realized that uh, the challenges are in front of them and that maybe we can match those challenges. As crazy as it sounds, you played Rose Holman the game before that, the day before that, uh, the, the event taking place at your place. 55-49 was the outcome. Rose Holman is one of the more stingy defenses out there in the country, uh, and they have been for a few years. How much did that game in a sense, maybe take you out of sync for a Wash U game. And we talk about the system teams and how you got to play this crazy offense sometimes to go against them, uh, and it might take a team a couple games to get out of it. I'm, I'm thinking, does it happen in reverse when you play a team that will grind you, that you get into the next game the next day and you're kind of not ready to go back to, quote-unquote, normal basketball? You know, I think, I think you're right. I think that can't happen, and, and I'm not sure. It, gosh, it seems like about a year ago that we played those games. <laughs> yeah. Um but, you know, Rose Holman, you're right. He does such a wonderful job of, of great team defense, and they have style inside, and, you know, they've got the depth. So I really am super impressed with with his system and his team. And, and they're quite different than the next day where it's, you know, more baseline to baseline, a little bit fuller. Um, so they were two different tales that weekend for sure. Uh, looking through the rest of the schedule, uh, I'm going to get to the uh, conference in a bit. Non-conference-wise, a really good win in, in Florida against Williams. Uh, you had a really strong win against Stevens Point after the break. Uh, I think that was at home as well. 
Um, you beat them by 12, and you also beat John Carroll. You've got to be happy with what you've done in the non-conference because you have set yourself up with a resume, not counting your, your conference side of things, that is really strong and could really position yourself well when it comes to March. Well, you know, you hope you get to March, and it's one of those sure. things, you know, you talk to your team about, you know, you, you know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow, and that's about it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I do think it, you know, it, that it was a good um, non-conference schedule. We saw lots of different uh, systems. You know, we, we've gone against the zone, we've gone against the press, we've gone against size. And so from that standpoint, I really liked it because it challenged us in so many different ways. You know, another great team we played on the floor was Oneata, mm-hmm. but they were outstanding with the matchup zone. So, uh, it's it's been fun to have to go against all these different styles of play and make those adjustments on game day or at least leading into game day. Another crazy thing about your schedule is you've played four occasions where you've basically played at a tournament or or back to back. You started the season with Wisconsin Lutheran and Luther in back to back games on the 17th and 18th. A week later, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, you played Rose Holman and Wash U. Uh, in back-to-back games. And then we mentioned the games at St. Petersburg before Christmas against Williams and Oneana. And then after Christmas before New Year's, you played Stevens Point and John Carroll. That's four separate occasions. Now, I realize that may not have been by design necessarily, but is there what, was there any purpose to that plan? You know, we've done it. We've done it that way for a while. You know, I think you've got the one, the student-athlete experience where you're not wanting to miss class. And, yeah. Uh, we have a little bit of hard time finding those midweek games in our area. Part of it is you want to try to get ready for your conference tournament. You don't have to play back to back. So I always think that's an okay way to for us to schedule our games. And I think the third thing is it kind of gives you some team bonding when you get to go uh, and spend some time together on a weekend. So sure. I like it for many ways. I know some uh, coaches try to avoid it at all costs. I think it helps us prepare um, for hopefully that that conference tournament. If you're lucky enough to get on the national tournament. Looking at your conference schedule so far, I don't see a lot of close games. Uh, the closest I've seen is Canyon got you within six, back on the sixth, appropriately enough. You won 64-58 at your place. Um, I think Oberlin might be in the other closest one at 13. You seem to be well in control yet again of the NCAC conference to some degree. How hard is it from now on, if you are in control of the conference the way these scores are playing out, to keep the team focused and not get distracted by the fact that they're that these opponents maybe aren't giving you the challenge they need at this time of the season to keep them fresh. Well, you know, and I would say just the opposite. I feel like every game has been a game. Okay. Um, it, it, I really have. Um, when we talked today about, you know, a 20-point win could be a seven-possession basketball game. Sure. You know, so on, on paper, it might look like a large margin. As a coach, you know, it was just a couple mistakes here or another made basket here and a missed basket, and yeah. it, the whole thing is a different ball game. So we've talked a lot about that um, as a team, but I feel like every game has been a grind for us. I don't think we've got this team where we are outscoring people and have this margin of victory. They seem to be pretty tough grind-out games to me. Uh, let's talk about the team. Um, you're, uh, you have four seniors on this squad. But it's it's a lot of underclassmen, as you said, who are leading the way. Scoring wise, it's Maya Howard, a junior. Uh, Maya Howard, a junior, thirteen point eight points a game. Claire Keefe, a freshman, twelve point six. Sydney Cop, a sophomore, twelve point one. And then we get to the first senior, and Emily Buddy, at ten point eight. Rebounding, it's a senior in Melinda Frankie at six and a half, and another senior in Kylie Morris. But then we go back to Howard, a junior, who's your assist category leader at 4.1. So you've got, as you said at the beginning, this mix of veteran and youth that are kind of driving this team to some degree. That can certainly be a wonderful thing to play off of, I would assume. And I assume they're playing off each other pretty well. 
You know, they have. Um, you know, Maya has a ball in her hand, and she's a junior course, and, and it does a nice job of leading our team. Um, but And I love our seniors who have been vocal, and they kind of are maybe more blue-collar uh, action where they're great defenders and great rebounders and, and maybe aren't scoring all the points. And what we do, we've got this nice mixture of old and new and, and forwards and guards and um I'm proud of how they come together, how they share the basketball. It's not about them. It really is about us. And um, it's been really, really good. You never know what it's going to look like when you start the season. It's a little scary thinking you're going to rely on some young uh, freshmen perhaps to play some major roles, but they've really stepped up to the challenge. Come on, four players in double figures, uh, and you're averaging 67 points a game. So, you know, you've got 40, 45 points coming from – from four players of the 67 you're scoring. That can be really great because you know you've got some great weapons. Does it also concern you, though, that you know if you need some depth, at least statistically on paper to us, there doesn't seem to be that scoring depth, or you got a different point of that? No, you know, I think you're, you're spot on with that. You know, I think we'd love to be 10 deep, and we're not, mm. we're not quite there. I think we, we can bring in a couple defensive players, but our offense does take a, a, a dip, yeah. um, you know, once we make those substitutions. So we're still working on that part of the game. I think we have some, again, some more first-year students who are on that roster who can make a difference, and they're just, uh, you know, just a step behind where we need them to be right now, and they're working their tails off to see if they can uh, kind of get that comfort zone for us and step on the court and make a difference. Let me challenge you with this. What does this team need to work on to keep improving? You know, I, I think our defense, you know, we're, hmm. we're still working pretty hard at that. Um, you know, we talk about there's a lot of gears you can choose to use when you go out there and do a drill or you, yeah. you play a possession, and we've got to find that highest gear at all times. So uh, defensively is an area that I could think we can still make some great strides in, um, and we can't let any of the areas drop off, that's for sure. And, boy, if we can improve our depth, boy, that would help us Im- immediately. Going to ask you a bit of a personal question here. Have you thought about your legacy? Uh, the note that jumps out of me from Bill, and that's one you've know, I've known that you just forget, you're 587 and 118 in 25 years. That's an 830 winning percentage uh, entering the year. It's improved because you've gone 16 and 1, by the way. Um, that's ranked sixth among active coaches at all NCAA levels with at least 10 years of experience and ninth all-time among coaches, whether they're active or retired with at least 10 years of experience. You're up in a very rarefied air in women's basketball. Has that ever occurred to you? Does it hit you in any way? You know, it's kind of, I, I haven't looked at those numbers or thought about it. You know, I think, I've just been doing this for a long time. You know, long <laughs> <nobody, laughs> Yeah, long but at a really good, good successful <laughs> rate, Coach. <laughs> well, I, I do feel fortunate. I, uh, you know, DePaul University it attracts such a, a, a great person and a great student athlete and I have a wonderful staff. So it's been a ton of fun. And uh, again, credit to my team this year. I don't know that we should be 16 and one, but we are And all the credit goes to them and, and their drive and kind of their vision for where they want to go. You got a really nice stretch ahead, three games at home. Um, and of the finale, you've got five of eight at home. Home's a good place to be. And I assume, um, you want to take full advantage of that and wrap this this conference up and, and make sure you've got the driver's seat when it comes to conference tournament. Boy, yeah. It, it, we still have so much left to play. So yeah. we're just starting the second time through the conference. And you know, I think second time through is such a grind. You know, everyone's got each other figured out and, uh, you know, playing the same coaches years and year in and year out. It is. It's so difficult when you get to conference play. 
Um, but I do like that five of those will be at home. They won't be easy ones. Um, but this conference could still go so many different directions. So we've got to keep getting better, keep going possession by possession and see if, if we can be the last team standing. Yep, I can understand entirely. Coach, I appreciate you taking the time and joining us talking about your Tigers squad. Uh, a great start, 16-1. and one. You've done 16-1 and one or 17-0 and oh, six of the last seven years. You may not expect it. I think we have expected it. Maybe we're spoiled. Um, enjoy the rest of the season. Uh, I know we'll be talking to you down the road. Good luck to this squad. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? Well, I, I think my, my typical thing is to thank everyone in Division Three. You know, I just think it's a it's a great game. It's a great level to be at, and you do that work. You're you're highlighting Division Three basketball, and I appreciate everything that you do, and, and all those coaches out there that could have gone to another level that have stayed to make our game great at this level. Thank you. Yeah, that last part is very good. Very good point, Coach. Thank you so much. Take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Absolutely, Chris Hoffman joining us from DePaul. Um, another little note, of course, their head, men's head coach is Bill Fenlon. If you don't know the, the the question, do you foul or not foul leading by three, it came up on Sunday when we were talking at the Plestra, and it came up another time recently to me. DePaul's got two really good coaches, if you want to talk X's and O's. Chris Huffman on the women's side, certainly showing she is one of the best in Division Three and all of women's basketball. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to another great women's basketball coach. Polly Thomason joins us in the WBCA Center Court. She'll talk about why her life is now incredibly busy, all because she's giving back to the game. You listen to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoops will after this. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student-athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I used to never really talk, ever. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Division 3 allows you to give yourself to other things. Having that free time allows me to pursue the things that I want to pursue. Division 3 athletics affords students the opportunity to you know, engage in the other interests in their campus and in their lives outside of that sport. It allows you to just be able to do everything you want to do. How wouldn't change it for the world.
And welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you are enjoying our Thursday edition of the show. Appreciate our guests so far. We're going to keep things moving as we got a lot to talk about. I had a wonderful conversation with Polly Thomason earlier today as part of our WBCA Center Court segment. We talked about why her life is now so busy giving back to the game. Not only does she have a busy schedule, but already with her team and a successful team schedule. But of course, she also now is giving back in multiple ways, whether with the WBCA, the NCAA, or otherwise. And she's keeping it all in the family. Long conversation, but well worth it. Welcome to the WBCA Center Court. Thanks our partners at the Women's Basketball Coaches Association for this. Coach Thompson joined me earlier. So now joining us in the WBCA Center Court and on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline. It's the head coach of Texas Dallas. It is Polly Thomason. Coach, thanks for taking the time. Hey there. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you uh, considering this. We get to dive deep with some coaches and uh, looking forward to doing so here. All right. Awesome. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's start off with a couple of things. First off, we do, as we mentioned, 12-2 and two on the for the team, 6-1 and one in conference, certainly having a good season. I think kind of being synonymous <laughs> with a Texas-Dallas <laughs> squad is, is always in the conversation. Obviously still a lot to play, but you got to be thrilled with how the team's doing so far. Yeah, I'm really thrilled to be honest um we i think this was not expected of the season uh we we lost a lot of seniors yeah. from last year so i'm just really happy with the way our new players and our our returners who are very inexperienced have stepped up and and competed uh for us so yeah we're we're very excited with where we're at um i keep telling them we still have a long way to go yeah. our our school i mean our conference is real tough so we're just going to take it one game at a time and day by day and just get better every day that's our goal so but i've been pleased with the way they've responded and how they've uh, allowed me to coach them. Well, a big game the other day. Uh, played East Texas Baptist, who is technically a half game ahead of you because they've got one more win in conference right now. You got the victory over them, so that's certainly significant. Certainly not over. You have a return trip right. <laughs> with East Texas Baptist at the end of the season, but it'll be at home. So you almost have a leg up right now on your side of the ASC. Could say it, I guess, as the standings go, but I think our league is just so tough. I mean, you can't really, you can't say that we do. I just think every game we play is going to be um, hard and hard fought. Um, but yeah, I, again, I was just really pleased with the way we played. I mean, we played at ETBU and just played a hard fought game. I think it was just a defensive battle on both ends of the floor, and uh, we were lucky enough to come out with, with that W, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think ETBU had opportunities to win it, and we just took care of the ball down the down the stretch and uh, knocked down enough free throws. <laughs> Not as many as we should have, but enough yeah, to win. enough <laughs> to win. I hear you. I uh, was at a game where they didn't hit any down the end and still came out with a victory. Uh, Sometimes it feels like that for yeah. us. Yeah. I can understand that. Um, lost to Emory in the second season game of the season, but more importantly, a loss to Mary Harden Baylor back in early December. You won't see them the rest of the way because they're in the other division. Uh, that's kind of a significant game as things are moving forward. Yeah, I think it will. Um, I think especially when we start moving into uh, regional standings and probably rankings, yep. that's probably going to be something that we get compared to. We get head-to-head um, with them, and that's okay. I mean, at the end of the day, I really feel whoever wins our 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 conference tournament is probably going to be the only team out of our, our league. It's just the way it's been in the past. So that's really our focus. Oh. Um, and I think every game we play is a learning experience. You know, losing to Emory, I think, was a wake-up call for our girls, especially we're, we have a lot of new players who didn't understand that, you know, we've been successful in the past, so teams are – 
coming at us with their A game, and we weren't prepared for that at all at Emory. Um, and I think the same thing at Marion Baylor. It was our first conference road game. Um, they've got a great facility. They've got a great team. Um, and we just didn't play our best game. And it's just we had to learn through those moments. And, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll take a loss as long as we're learning um, through the end of it. Uh, and I definitely think our team has done that. We'll talk more about the rankings in a minute, but I want to mention one other thing. The news is out, at least. I don't think it's been officially announced by the school, but it's out that Texas Tyler will be uh, applying for Division Two. And there's a lot of steps in between now and whether they become Division II. We're not going to assume anything. However, <laughs> should they move on? Uh, your thoughts on, on their departure from the conference? Well, I think it's a, a big loss for our conference with how successful they've been across the board. Um, you know, uh, they've won a softball national championship. I know other sports, golf, cross country, have done really well on a national level. Um, a couple years ago, women's basketball went to Elite Eight. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, it's going to be a really tough loss for our league because um, they've gone out there and competed for us mm-hmm. um, and been successful. Uh, so, you know, it'll be tough for our league to recover, um, to have that, I just think a continued success that they've had, um, sure. and that's what we need. I think our league needs that uh, more than anything. So, you know, from that standpoint, that, that's going to hurt us. Um, from a competitive standpoint, same thing. I mean, that's our number one rival. We're going to miss playing them every, you know, every, twice a year, um, and every game we play against them has been tough. And um, just, it's an exciting game. In fact, we're playing them tonight. So, right. you know, it, it, it's going to be it's going to be a hurt for us for sure. And we should point out we're talking to Coach uh, ahead of time because they are playing Texas Tyler tonight. Uh, you should then lobby D2 to reject them. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> well, I might not go that far. <laughs> I know. I do realize. And obviously you would get possibly one more year to play them uh, if they were accepted anyway. So uh, not the end yet, but certainly uh, the, we see an end coming. Um, you talked about rankings prior. We should point out one of the reasons you're on the WBCA Center Court segment is that you have decided to take on uh, national responsibilities in, in many ways, but we'll start with the fact you're on the national committee this year, uh, representing the South region as its chair. You know, that's a, that's certain. I know you've had rack experience, you know, jumping into the national games, a, a different, different aspect of things. What was, what intrigued you about the idea of doing that? And, and why thus did you say yes? Uh, you know, I've, I have a great mentor, a mentor in Deb Hunter, and she's always pushing me to, to give back to the game and, to just be involved more than with my own team. And every year that it's been open, she's encouraged me to apply. Um, And I did, I think it was two years ago, um, and I wasn't chosen. And then it opened up this summer, and I was chosen. And, you know, it's just more experience. I think the first time I was on the rack, just as the representative from my conference, I learned a lot as far as the process goes and who I need to be scheduling, who our league needs to be scheduling, uh, just to give my team and our league more of an opportunity to get in at large if we don't get the AQ. So uh, it's been eye-opening in that regard. And now being on, you know, the chair of the South and being part of the national committee, it's it's even more eye-opening as far as what goes into uh, choosing, you know, the top 64 teams in the country. You know, it's not easy considering we're the largest division um, and a lot of really good teams get left out of it every year. Uh, so it's just, it's been, I haven't, had a national call yet where we discuss teams so i'm looking forward to that but just the experience i've had already i've been uh really excited and, and uh, pumped for the future from for the rest of my role luckily you don't have to pick all 64 teams right. but <laughs> yeah you do have to bracket them and i know that will be interesting work yeah. that said you may not be involved if your team's in the tournament of course True. as we also talk about though you 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 have the rack experience now you have the national experience Yes, we haven't started talking about teams yet. The mock bracketing hasn't taken place yet and all that. But what have you learned so far 
and I think you started in September. I think is the official timeline. Yeah. But, uh, what have you learned so far with working with the committee that has both opened your eyes, maybe, or at least intrigued you? Well, I, to be honest, I think when you are just secluded to your own school or own region, um, you think everything could be biased towards you um, <laughs> at times. Uh, but I think being on the national committee, just in the short amount of time that I have, you you really are. Um, uh, I, I guess eye-opening to the fact that, no, I mean, there's just so many teens out there that are great um, mm-hmm. and that it's not biased to certain regions. It's just that's the way the brackets go. That's the way the teams go. You know, it's just um, I think the conversations, I'm looking forward to it just to see more in depth on how they go. But it really, I think they really do care about making the best tournament we can make for Division III. Sure. Um, and that's the whole I think that's the whole, um, what the committee wants is just the best tournament possible. And whether it, you know, it may seem biased towards the South at times, but it really isn't. Yeah. It, it, yeah, we try and drive that home too. Uh, and, <laughs> and it doesn't seem to, to be uh, understood even by some coaches' points of view. When, right. When you do look now at a more national landscape, you talk about, um, you know, scheduling all that. It, does it change your point of view? I guess it kind of does. You kind of hinted at that, but how has it changed your point of view, I guess, or more specifically, what of your view has changed? Well, I think the hardest thing for teams in, you know, especially Texas and maybe the South, uh, is just getting uh, the, the common opponents. Um, so when we schedule now, I really want to go play more. I, you know, we have to play the South region, so I want to go play outside of Texas. You know, this year we went to Emory and played a UAA team and an ODAC team, and I think that's important, um, playing South region teams and South region conferences that are constantly getting at-large bids. Um, and then also being able to maybe go up and play in the Northeast or play a couple of games that, you know, we've got to play seven. 70% of our games in region, but going and playing teams, I think two years ago we went to um, DePaul and being able to play teams in Indiana just that we normally don't get to. And I'm in a great school with a great AD who allows us to do that. Um, and we've been able to invite some teams to play us. But I think that is the key, is just getting more common head-to-head opponents um, instead of just being stuck in our state and playing the same teams over and over again. We've got to be able to make a case for ourselves um, by playing those, those teams that are constantly being ranked that are constantly being talked about. You bring up an interesting point. I'm going to go back to what you said earlier. You talked about the ASC is probably only going to get the AQ, despite the fact that your record looks pretty darn good, ETBU's looks pretty good, and Mary Harden Baylor's looks pretty good. I don't know all the other data, and not diving into that now, but the ASC feels like it's its own worst enemy. Yeah. Um, for a lot of reasons politically behind the scenes that I could talk about until I, in, until the sun comes back up, the ASC refuses to change its model to allow for individ- teams like yourselves, Texas Baptist or uh, East Texas Baptist or Mary Harden Baylor or whoever, to have more opportunities. Uh, you have a very limited number of games you can play outside of conference. Thus, your SOS is not going to have that much impact, and you don't have a lot of results versus regionally ranked opponents. Can you bring this perspective of being on the rack in the national and come back to the to the conference to try and drive home that this isn't working? Oh, without a doubt. And I will have to say our conference in the last, I think the two two or three years, uh, we've changed that model. We are actually being able to play. Um, I think this year I had seven or eight non-conference games, which certainly is huge. An improvement, yeah. Yeah. Um, I know when I first started at UT Dallas, um, we maybe had three yeah. non-conference games. So that's where we were hindered. But absolutely, um, myself and Matt Wallace, who is our rep for the rack uh, in the South, he, you know, we that's our that's what we preach to our coaches and to our um, administrators who are in the meeting is that we have got 
to leave these games to where we can, especially the teams that want to compete on a national level or feel, you know, this is their time. Um, we've got to have opportunities to play outside of the state of Texas. How do you deal with the schools? And I know there's a significant number of them who don't care. They, and, and I mean that literally. They don't care what the top teams want to do or, or what the ASC looks like on a national level. They're just trying to fill 25 games. They have absolutely no interest in trying to be competitive. They just want to provide 25 games. And that ends up being enough of a number that can sometimes thwart other plans. Yeah, you just at the at the end of the day, you just have to hope that your team is doing what they need to do. You know, you can't control how they're going to schedule. You can't control uh, their motivation behind what they're doing. The only thing I can control is, you know, putting our advice out there as far as conference scheduling, um, and then doing what I can with my schedule and my team to get us in the best position possible in February. Um, so, you know, yeah, sometimes that we'll run into that. And, you know, our conference is spread out where we have a couple of teams. Yeah. It's hard for them to get 25 division yep. three games. Um, but at the end of the day, I can't control it. I can only ask them, like, you know, we, we have to do what we're able to control and that's just our scheduling and making it the best. And, you know, I tell our girls every year, we're going to play a tough non-conference because um, I want to compete. I want to be there at the end of the year um, in a conversation to get in at large if we haven't won the AQ. Imagine if it was D1 where the conferences determine if your out-of-conference schedule is good enough for the conference's image. In the div- Anyway, I digress. <laughs> uh, this is D3. We're not going to expect no, that. No, that's never going to happen. Um, that's okay. I mean, I, it is what it is. Yeah, and I look forward to hearing what you your thoughts on, on this as you move forward into the rankings and all of that stuff. Uh, certainly uh, early on here, we're not going to get much. I'm not trying to get much information. Uh, we don't know how things will progress, but I right. look forward to talking to you more down the road. On the flip side, you, you doubled down in your national uh, responsibility and your uh, off-the-court responsibilities this <laughs> summer. You're now on board as a, as a board member of the WBCA. Um, we should point out this was a decision made before Christy Tomaskati uh, left Emory, so we would have had four members from Division III. Unfortunately, we're back to three. Right. But what was your drive to, to join the, the board for the WBCA? Uh, you know, this might sound a little cheesy, but it's, it's always been a dream of mine to serve the WBCA in that capacity. Um, I've... I've gone to the conventions and I've been a part of every, you know, going to the business meetings that, you know, not everybody goes to, just really just trying to be involved any way I can. Um, I've looked up to the women before me who have served in the, this role. Um, so it's always really just been a goal of mine to um, – basketball has given me a lot in my life, and I just want to give back as much as I can, and I feel like serving on the board is, is a way to do that. Um, I was surprised when they called me. Um, I was not expecting it at all. Uh, they just – you know, Christy was uh, going to become the uh, vice president for the WBC. BBCA, so that mm-hmm. left open the legislative chair, and it's not one that can be, it's not voted in, it's uh, one that's nominated by the Division Three at large, um, and then supported by the president, so that's just kind of how it worked out for me, which has been, you know, amazing, I love it, dream come true for sure, um, so I'm just excited to be a part of it, we had our first, I was at the first meeting in July with everybody, and I was a little bit overwhelmed because you're sitting in the room with some big time D1 coaches and uh, you know ones that you see on TV and you analyze and you just got to remember that you're you're in that room now you're a mm-hmm. part of that circle um, you know group helping the game grow and and helping other coaches uh, that are going to come come behind me one of the things i've noticed and we've talked a bit a little bit on the show is how much the WBCA has turned towards division 3 to some degree i always felt like Division three was an afterthought uh, with the organization for a number of years, and I could be wrong, but it felt that way. And obviously, we've had a change in the guard with uh, the CEO and Danielle, and we'll we'll hear from her on the marathon show this year once again. But 
how much is I mean, you're now being at that table, as it were, and how much of Division III's uh, voice is now being heard um, because of that change in the guard? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I, again, I don't know what it was before, but I can just tell from my experience, I have felt the shift. I have felt, um, just as a regular coach before I was on the board, I have felt them be more inclusive in as far as our conversation and what's important to us. Um, you know, the the president uh, they go to the D3 championships. They want to know our opinion on things. And now being a part of the board, you can definitely, you know, we're part of committees. Um, we're part of the other organizational breakdowns that they have. You know, I, I think more important. I really do. I think the game of college basketball, whatever level you're at, is important to the WBCA. They care about every single one of their coaches. It doesn't matter if you, you know, you're in the Power Five or if you're in AI, JUCO, D3, high school. It, they just want to help coaches, and it's been – I have felt that. Um, so, yeah, it's a very exciting time to be a part of the WBCA and to serve on the board because I feel like our direction is, is headed in the right way. When you talk about now being on the board and, and responsibilities and stuff, what do you hope to accomplish individual as as an individual w- with your time uh, on the WBCA board and the head? Man, that's a great question. <laughs> Thank you. I, um, I randomly come up with them. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I <laughs> I I honestly just want to. I would love an opportunity to learn from the coaches that are there. Um, I think they all have great experience. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, our D3 at larges have been at their universities for many years and just picking their brain and picking the D1 brains as far as, you know, being the best coach I can be, um, being the best person I can be, you know, it's not even an X and O's kind of thing. It's more just how can I become a better coach for myself, for my players, you know, for my family. Um, that's what I want to get out personally, professionally. You know, I just want to continue to, to grow uh, my university's recognition. Um, I think we're still a really young team, a really young school, and not a lot of people know about. Grow uh, our conference in the same gar- regards, and then continue to to push Division Three. I was a Division Three athlete. I love Division Three, so just getting that word out as far as it's great basketball at our level. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's mister misunderstood sometimes, and so just continuing to push those things. What do you hope uh, the WBCA can do to continue to support Division Three, or or in some cases, how can uh, not even continue to support, but what, how can we do things maybe even better? Not that it's not good. I'm just saying, what's the next evolutionary step here in helping Division Three at the WBCA level? I think continuing to do what they're doing, supporting your show, having the segment that they have, just making making it known that Division Three is a great option for some student athletes to play at. Um, just continuing in and in maybe educating the coaches of the high school level, like this is a great opportunity, and I can especially see it in our region. Um, you know, everybody wants to chase the, the the D1 scholarship, but sometimes that's not the best option for everybody. And um, just getting more education out about what Division Three is about, and that it's uh, a very competitive, very competitive uh, level of of athletes, not even just basketball. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing the WBCA? Oh, <laughs> um, geez, you're rolling with some questions yeah, today. Don't don't expect this on the show uh, <laughs> any other time. You know, I think, uh, man, I, I'm just going to say where the future of our game is going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I know being in some conversations right now, we're talking about technology and how that's going to affect our rules. Um, just kind of what that next phase of women's college basketball is going to look like. You know, I thought we've we've had some major game changes um, in the last two years, you know, that have changed the way our game looks. 
Um, so where where's that next step? You know, are we still moving forward? Do we still have things we need to change to make it look a little different? Um, is there a technology that we're going to embrace? You know, I think that's really just the future is of our game is the biggest question. Like, are we happy where it's at or we still need more changes? Interesting. Well, I appreciate you taking time to talk about all that. Before we let you go, we do have to ask you our nine questions that we ask okay. all coaches, though. Um, so if you don't mind having a little fun, these are supposed to be off the top of your head. You're not supposed to go in depth with them. <laughs> I'm not um, sure y'all want to know these, but okay. I may not. I may not. And that's the risk we run. Um, but they're the same nine everybody else has asked, or everybody else is asked, so we get good, good different, differing answers, so it's fun. Okay. All right, so favorite thing, I think we know this, about coaching, especially in Division Three. Uh, my student athletes, hands down. I just I love the women I work with. Um, I think UT Dallas we get a unique student athlete, and I love every single one of them. They're just they brighten my day. You know I hate I tell them all the time I hate off days because I don't get to be around them. I don't get to see them. Um, so yeah, I enjoy I enjoy my girls. Yeah, they're thinking, oh, coach, we love the off days. I know they really uh, do. I know they do. And <laughs> <laughs> we won't go into why. Um, what's your biggest pet peeve? Oh. Right now it's my office. It's a disaster. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> and the, pe- the sad thing is I blame it on being the season. Yeah, but it's I really do too. a disaster all year round. Yeah, same here. Uh, it's actually better in season because I need half of it. <laughs> I needs, wish I could say that. Well, half of it needs to be on camera. I can't show you what it doesn't look like on right. camera. Right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure my assistant would say the same thing. Yeah. He hates my office. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, favorite rule or nuance in the game? Um, you know, I I really did not enjoy it at first. I did not oh, like the no quarters because okay. I have okay. been around the twenty minutes for so long. Yeah. Uh, but just with the experience, you know, having gone through it two years now, I've really have started to embrace it. Like I really do like it. I like that break. I, you know, we can treat it as an extra timeout, um, especially when we have a player that you know is playing a lot of minutes. It gives us a chance to to rest her without taking her out of the game. So I've started to enjoy that. And recently, we really like the advance rule because uh. we've needed it. <laughs> I saw another example last night of why I don't like that advance. Oh, I'm sure. But, uh, <laughs> but when, it, when it favors what we need, yeah, I love of course. It. I know. T- I know. Coaches <laughs> just like I hate this rule. You know what? This is great. Can you move the ball up? Thank you. Right. <laughs> um, I like the quarter rule because you know, the reset of the fouls. We're not just spending yeah. the whole half at the free throw line. Um, what rule would you want to see either added, removed, or changed? Ooh. Um. I kind of I'm on the fence with the reset of the or the non-reset of the 10 second backcourt. I don't know how I feel about that one yet. I'm not hmm. a big presser, so Okay. I like to have it reset, you know, if yeah. it goes out of balance. I can see the advantage if we do press. Um I really like the men have gone to the 20 second reset mm-hmm. on a kickball. Yeah. Kickball honest, and I foul would, in the front yeah, court. Yeah. I would like that. Yeah, I like that one too. Um any pregame ritual or superstition? Uh, I used to be obsessed with rituals and superstitions. <laughs> like, I even have a rule no one can wear a sweater on our bench because wow. I feel it's bad luck. But this year I've just kind of tried to throw that all out the window and not stress, you know, our job's hard enough. I don't need to focus on what yeah. we're wearing. Sure. I can understand <laughs> so that. That's kind of been – I've kind of been a little bit more easygoing this year and not worry about any of that stuff. So that's kind of been – I feel like that's been my um, – uh, go to, hey, I'm not being superstitious, but I really am. I'm going to watch next game and just see if somebody's wearing a sweater um, on the bench. My, you know, my dad's the only one that can get away with it. Just cause, and I say it's because it's a sweater vest. Perfect. And we're going to get to him <laughs> to finish this whole segment off. Um, craziest travel experience and out of Texas, I bet you got a few. Oh, yeah. my uh, is One of my first couple of years at UT Dallas, we were traveling to 
traveling from San Antonio. We had actually just played Shriner, so Kerrville is a little bit further away, about an hour from San Antonio. And it's normally, I would I feel like it's maybe a seven-hour, six, seven-hour bus trip. Um, we got a lot of snow, not snow, we got a lot of ice uh, mm. that evening, and we ended up coming back home, made it back to campus uh, 4 p.m. the other day, the next day. Oh. So we had left school, that school at 10, 10 p.m., so... That was it. And I remember pulling off the side of the road. We had to stop, you know, just because no one was moving on 35. Yeah. Um, spent a couple hours on an IHOP. So, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was an experience. So now when my, my team, whenever they complain about just an easy trip, you know, three- or four-hour bus trip, I'm like, oh, this is nothing. Guys, <laughs> Yeah. let me tell you a story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, preface this one by saying one of your assistant coaches is your father. How would your assistants describe you as a coach? Um, I think both of them. I mean, I think my dad and uh, Natalie, my my full time assistant, would both say I'm I'm pretty easygoing. You know, I just I really love what we're doing. I love our kids. I love you know everything about our university and staff. Pretty easygoing, but I still think it's demanding at times. You know, there's things that we we want done, things we want done the, the UTD way, and we won't we won't sacrifice those mm. those things. But at the end of the day, I think they just you know easygoing. Love love what we're doing. At least sense. I hope that's what they say. Exactly. Well, <laughs> don't worry. We're not asking them. Uh, what do you tell recruits to get them excited to commit to Texas-Dallas? Uh, one is academics. Uh, our school is phenomenal as far as uh, what we're doing educationally. Um, there's just a lot of really cool things happening on our campus right now, from our engineering to our school of management. Um, there's just lots of opportunities for them to be successful um, when they graduate, and that's the whole point uh, of going to college. So yep. that's really what we try and get everybody excited about. Cool. Um, what we're doing basketball-wise, yeah, we, we definitely want to – um, sell that as well, but we don't harp on that. It's really to us. It's about the education, what they're going to do in four years when they're done playing. Yep, that's certainly the most important thing to be in reality. Yeah. Uh, and when you retire, because all coaches do, what, <laughs> <laughs> what do you hope people remember you as a coach? Uh, I really just hope that they remember how much I love them and how much I appreciated their time at, at UT Dallas. I'm a big believer that. These these players get four years. That's it, you know. And we want to make those four years the most enjoyable enjoyable time of their life, um, you know. And once they graduate, they're in the real world, paying the bills. You know, it's not as much fun. Uh, college is just supposed to be fun, and uh, four years that you're going to remember. And that's really what I want. I want them to be able to look back on their time with me and uh, with our university, saying that was the best decision I made going there. I made great friends, great relationships, and you know, coach really loved me and took care of me while I was there. Wonderful. Uh, it's not part of the questionnaire, but we'd be remiss not to ask you uh, before we let you go. Your dad is the assistant yes. or one of the assistants you have on it. That is a unique situation in any way, shape and form. But what's it like for, for your vantage point to have your father alongside you? It's been one of the greatest things uh, in my career, to be perfectly honest. Uh, my first year, he didn't help me. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, Wow, that was really nice of him. Jeez. <laughs> You know, he. I think I don't know why. I, I just it was nothing we ever talked about. But uh, after every game, we would go and talk in the stands. And he was a coach, and I grew up with him being a coach. Mm -hmm. And you know how, you know, coaches are. They like to give you feedback and yep. information, even when you don't ask. And yep. we would we would talk about the games, and there would be moments I'd be like, oh, that would have been a great great thought, a great idea. So the second year, um, I was like, Dad, I want you know, I would love to have you on the bench because I think you bring things I don't think about, which is what you want out of an assistant coach. Right. And I was like, but here's the only kicker. Oh. <laughs> I was like, if you're going to do this, you have to know I will tell you no, and you have to be okay with it. <laughs> ah, good parameter. 
Yeah, yeah and he yeah. was like, okay, he's fine. And it, I love it. It really is. There's times where, you know, we'll, I'll go home for Christmas um, or even I'll get an email. I get an email from him after every game, things he's thinking about. And it always starts with boss. And it's just oh, kind of cool. cool. Uh, um, so, yeah, it's it's phenomenal to be able to spend this time with him and doing awesome. things we both love. And, you know, he I grew up with him teaching me the game and teaching me to love sports and be competitive. And it's just neat to to share this experience with, with him in that in that way. And one of the things I grew up is just trying to make them proud make my parents proud and I feel like you know I get to do that with him sitting next to me that's cool that yeah. is really cool well coach appreciate you taking all this time to chat no, with I appreciate us you guys the... I really do you do a great job of promoting division three and you know that's what we need from our game so thank you for everything you do absolutely uh we have a tradition on the show we always give the guests the final word any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in oh man you and these questions that's what I do <laughs> No, just as, uh, just continue to watch the South Region. I think we've got some really great teams down here, um, not just my conference, but across the board. So I think uh, we've got some sleepers down here that hopefully uh, in March will be making some noise. Awesome. We will keep an eye on them, I assure you. Thanks for taking okay. the time. We'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Polly Thomason joining us here on the Hoopsville Hotline in the WBCA Center Court. Great interview, wasn't it? Polly Thomason joining us. Forgot to ask her. We had her on a couple of years ago after a game that she played in the NCAA tournament that had been played on a Sunday. And we uh, had a conversation about some uh, questionable uniforms. I should have circled back with her on that. But we will do. We I have a feeling we'll get a chance to do that with her at a future date. Uh, we will make note and do it accordingly. A great interview with uh, Coach. Appreciate her taking the time. Of course, also thanks once again to the uh, Women's Basketball Coaches Association for their efforts to help us as well. The WBCA Center Court segment every Thursday night here on Hoopsville. Uh, next week, we've got a great one coming up as well. Um, that's kind of a bad tease, but trust me, you're going to want to tune in next week. I'm going to take another break. When we come back, we'll switch back to some men's basketball. We'll jump out to the West and talk to Whitworth. Uh, they've lost six straight to Whitman doesn't mean they aren't playing some darn good basketball. And as one who hasn't totally been sold on them yet, I get to learn a little bit more about their team. Matt Logie joins us in a moment. And still ahead, Marymount's women's basketball coach. You're watching Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. Something I discovered in myself is that if I have a goal, I can accomplish it. It's a well-rounded experience. At a Division three school, you primarily a student athlete, so the school is really shaped around you developing yourself as a complete individual. It helps a lot that you have a family with your team that can guide you. Cheer for the stumbles. 
that he should have had that. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Hope you're enjoying this uh, Thursday edition of Hoopsville. If you've got questions for us, you can always tweet us at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops.com. Join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're also on Instagram where we promote the show primarily. That one is at D3Hoopsville as well. Um, should point out, uh, I've been a voter in the top 25 for a number of years, and I've been very open about it. I forgot to put my blog, blog together. No, I didn't forget to put my blog together. I tried to put my blog together this week crazy week i wasn't expecting and didn't get it put together i apologize we will make up for it next week uh at this point no point in putting it up there maybe at the end of the show we'll quickly run down who i have in my top 25 one of the teams i have that i have a lot of questions about is whitworth i have him at 21 i had him last week at 21 i saw them play whitman didn't blow me away but that doesn't mean i'm not missing something Sometimes the best way to educate myself, as you may know on this show, is to talk to their head coach. So I got a chance earlier today to talk to their head coach uh, to find out, okay, Matt Logie, what is it about your your Pirates squad that is that makes everybody else want to vote for you? At the same time, how good is this Northwest Conference race? They are 13-2 overall, 5-1 in the conference. We get to talk to Matt Logie earlier here on, on the show. Now joining me on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline, it's the head coach of the 13-2 Whitworth Pirates. Coach, welcome to Hoopsville, sir. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I feel like it's been a while since we chatted with you guys. Um, things have changed a little bit in the Northwest. You have a, a pretty good foe in Whitman now that uh, seems to be leading the conference. You guys almost feel, is it feel different to be, to be the other team in some degree? Well, I think uh, Whitman's really uh, risen to, to prominence, obviously, the last couple of years. Um, you know, I think for, and, and I think Coach Bridgen would probably agree, you know, for a few years, uh, <clears throat> they were really trying to get over the hump with, with us, and, and we were, you know, uh, kind of the uh, top of the food chain in, in our conference and, and, you know, even number one in the country at one point. Um, and when they got over that hump, uh, they they uh, they they've really made the most of it and, and they've just continued to uh, to rise. So um, it's a it's a great rivalry. It's been a lot of fun to uh, uh, to be a part of. I think it's made our program better um, in, in striving for such uh, elite company. And uh, we feel like if you know if we can if if we can get past Whitman uh, with with uh, the way that they're playing these days. Uh, then we can we can beat just about anybody in the country. Yeah, certainly a, an interesting dynamic out there now in the Northwest. And you're right; it did feel like Whitman was struggling to get over that hump, and now they have. Uh, I think they've won now six straight or something along that, those lines with you guys. I got a chance to watch the last one online, thanks to uh, you know, streaming and being on my big screen now. It's kind of fun, uh, and enjoyed that game. It was an interesting battle. First half, I uh, wouldn't say Whitman shot very well. You guys seem to control things a little bit more, seem to be dictating the tempo, at least for most of that half. Second half, Whitman started to put its foot down, and it really became, it felt like a, a real chess match at that point. Well, I, I mean, I think uh, we were pretty pleased with the way we executed defensively uh, in the first half, especially. Um, I think with, with about nine minutes to go, 
Uh, we were up 55-51, and Kyle Roach got his fourth foul, yeah. and uh, had to had to come out of the ball game, and and that really um, changed the dynamic for us, and in, 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 uh, in terms of experience on the floor, and and uh, you know Whitman, uh, like you said, kind of put their their foot on the gas at that point, and, and made a push that uh, you know we didn't didn't really have uh, an answer for, so. Um, you know, I feel good about the the first 31 minutes of the game, and uh, <laughs> obviously we gotta you gotta put it together for 40 plus. Yeah, the other factor too is you weren't playing with um, uh, Jordan Lester, who is yeah. certainly an important <clears throat> guard for you guys, a junior. And we should point out you have a this is a pretty much an underclassman team, uh, mm-hmm. but Lester being the junior, he's he's missed a few games. He wasn't in that one. I also felt like his presence not being there, you know, hurt. Especially with Roach in foul trouble. A, Roach maybe doesn't get in foul trouble. You've got another option. But B, Lester is not there to help help with that as well. Well, there's no question, um, you know, that Jordan Jordan's loss has, has impacted um, definitely that game and um, kind of the, the dynamic of our team. You know, he was really, um, you know, coming into his own in our program. I think uh, his athleticism and, his, his ability to finish around the basket uh, are, are really, really elite. And uh, in a game like that, where you're going to be up and down and facing pressure all the time, um, it's not just the fact that you know he's not out there. It's also the fact that you know if he's handling the ball more and and, and Kyle Roach uh, is handling the ball, then then that pushes you know other guys into catch and shoot situations mm-hmm. and, and just different parts of the floor where um, with with Jordan out. Uh, you've got some some more inexperienced guards, um, you know, kind of learning the ropes, and, and that's part of the process and learning to to, to play against Whitman. Um, the guys that have stepped into the fold uh, for Jordan have done a really good job for us. Garrett Hole is a, a junior college transfer, and Isaiah Hernandez, um, you know, but that that was their first time in that environment, and so uh, it was just a little bit more than, than we were ready for at that stage. Sure, of course, the game was at Walla Walla, which is the environment to some degree and and in their home court the next game comes back to your place and certainly things will now play out in in your favor in some degree in that sense but is this a lester situation where you guys have to this is the rest of the season that you're just going to have to adjust and, and adapt to and or do you hope that lester can get back that the you guys now as a result would even have more depth well, I think uh, his absence has certainly created more depth for us and, and a great opportunity for uh, Garrett and Isaiah to um, show what they're capable of, and we have a lot of confidence in those guys. Uh, Kyle Roach has been playing uh, phenomenal basketball since Jordan yeah. uh, has been out, and, and that's really helped kind of buoy us. Jared Christie uh, is, is a very capable uh, all-conference type player as well. So we feel like we have enough uh, enough bullets in the gun, so to speak, um, but certainly, when you add Jordan to the mix with this group, uh, looking at next year, uh, we, we don't have uh, a lot of questions in our backcourt and, and no. a group that uh, is, is highly, highly talented. We don't uh, we don't expect him to be back this year. Okay. Um, but uh, the good news is he'll he'll probably get a medical redshirt and, and have a chance to. Um, to come back for two more years. So well, and that's the thing. Next year, and we again we talk about the that this isn't really a senior laden squad. I think you've got one senior listed on the team, and it's uh, Joel Gabriel, who's played in eight games. This is a young team. I feel it's it's almost different. I'm used to Whitworth always having 
a couple of senior leaders, as it were, whether they're transferred in or, or have been coming through the program. This is a program that feels like you guys don't have that, and as a result, the following years could be the most fascinating, including your battles with Whitman. I mean, both teams are set up for, for years to come here. Yeah, we're really excited about uh, both our present and our future. I mean, last year we graduated Kenny Love and Christian Gerlina, yeah. who uh, were three-time all-conference guys and, and you know all-region-type players in their own right, and, and that was a year after George Valley kind of carried that torch for us. So uh, this past offseason was a, a kind of a big turning of the page for us, and uh, we brought in 10 new guys, and they've really uh, adapted well and, and, and bonded uh, very strongly, and, and I think that's uh, why we were able to hit the ground running early on this season with uh, some of the success that we've had. Um, so we're we're really excited about you know not only where we're at right now, but what we're building for the end of this season and and uh, looking ahead into the future as well. I've been public about the fact that I haven't been voting for you guys, though I, I put you in the last couple of weeks in, in, on my poll near the bottom. And it's that youth that I just don't have answers for that I'm trying to grasp to some degree uh, and figure out what you know. What makes them tick, I guess, would be the best way of saying it. So this feels like a, a great experience here. I mean, almost a, a year where losing Lester is good because some guys are going to get more experience and more <clears throat> um, playing time as a result. And that could also make this team pretty dangerous at the end of the season. Well, no question. That's definitely the positive way of looking at it. And, and what we're trying to do uh, you know, with, with uh, an adversity like that, it, it creates an opportunity for somebody else. And, and that's really what adversity is it's just mm-hmm. opportunity disguised and um you know we've uh we've obviously uh run up against uh, a team that's been ranked number one in the country and only lost the uh, the last two national champions in the last couple of years but um someone brought to my attention the other day that uh you know since since we lost to St. Thomas in November of 2014 we're uh, 86 and 4 against the rest of the competition so you know, we, we don't feel like we've gone down, uh, gone down or come back to the pack. You know, it's just uh, one of those situations where uh, Whitman has really uh, risen and, and kind of uh, been, uh, become the cream of the crop, and, and we're trying to take that next step as well. Uh, we should, before we talk about the, the, more about the conference and your schedule, Ben College should be pointing out he's a sophomore averaging 17.5 points, the same as Kyle Roach, who's a junior. And Jared Christie's your other in double figures. He's a senior, but he's got junior in eligibility. Uh, 11 and a half points uh, a game. Of course, Lester was averaging 15 and a half. And of course, we also should mention Ben Bishop, 8.2 points a game. I have a feeling that might climb. You actually do have quite a few weapons offensively on this team that, that can certainly get it done if necessary. Yeah, I, I think um, what we lacked in experience this year, um, coming into the year, you know, we made up for in, in talent and uh, athleticism. And so, <clears throat> you know, I, I wasn't sure how quickly. Uh, things would come together, but uh, I've told a few people I think uh, if we can stay uh, stay healthy, obviously from this point forward, um, and continue to to grow, um, that our team next year has a chance to be the best uh, best team we've had. So um, you know we know that uh, it's a process, and you've got to build that every day. And um, you know we've got uh, a couple big opportunities on the road this weekend as well. Yeah, this weekend you'll be taking on Willamette and Linfield on the road, which is certainly a challenge in itself. But the conference seems to be getting a little bit deeper now. It used to be the Whitman and Whitworth show, um, and everybody else was just there. On the women's side, we've been used to it a little bit deeper. But Puget Sound seems to have a pretty good squad together uh, this season, though sometimes the, the the record doesn't necessarily jump out. But they're 11-4, and 4-3 four, four and three in conference. Linfield's 11-3, and 5-1. 
in conference. Well, Amit's eight and seven, three and three, and even Pacific's eight and seven, two and four. The the conference seems to have gotten deeper since last year, maybe even counting last year, which has made it a little bit more challenging on trips like this weekend to Willamette and Linfield. Yeah, no question. Uh, I think uh, the rest of the conference ha- has improved, and and uh, and that's made kind of the the trek run. Uh, through conference play, uh, more tenuous and, um, you know, Linfield and, and, uh, UPS and Willamette are all right in the middle of, of, uh, you know, playoff contention right now. I think, uh, you know, coming out of non-conference play, the NWC was, I think, seventh overall in winning percentage non-conference wise and has, has really improved, um, some of the scheduling patterns, um, terms of, of trying to, to get more division three games um across the board and, and is finding success with that so it's it's great for our conference um you know ultimately uh you know we know that uh our conference will probably be collected in, into a, a pod in march anyway but uh you know it's it's one of those situations where if you can get tested more often in, in january and february it's going to make you better for march your schedule on the, the whole season has been somewhat interesting uh, a lot of D3 teams uh, on the schedule, including a trip to Hawaii to play a couple. I know the trip to Hawaii is a lot easier than a trip to the East Coast, um, but I still feel horrible for you that you had to go to Honolulu. <laughs> um, you'd played North Central, which at the time seemed a little off. Now they seem to have gotten their feet under them, so that win starts to look more and more impressive. Um, you also played Colorado Ooh. College in a game that I think Colorado College not as good as we expected, but still got a chance to play them. Wheaton tripped you guys up. Uh, and Wheaton seems to trip a lot of people up while tripping themselves up. Calvin's not the same team I think everyone expected, um, and, and so it's been a mixed bag. But how has your out-of-conference schedule, you think, helped you? Well, I think um, you know going into uh, to, to that trip to Hawaii, uh, obviously we knew that the North Central was an established team, a veteran team, um, and uh, a great barometer for us. Um, so we were... We were excited to, to be able to um, to compete there the way that we did. Um, our game the next night against Arcadia was was actually very competitive as well, um, in in a very different sense, um, very athletic. Um, so we we've been able to to play against some different styles. Uh, Wheaton has you know one of the best guards at the Division three level that that I've seen, um, and uh, and really. You know, played a great game here and and uh, caught us on a night where we probably weren't at our best and and uh, you know has gone on to uh, to have great success in in their conference, which is no surprise. So um, you know, I, I think our our goal in non-conference scheduling is always to try to uh, schedule the most competitive teams that we can, and um, and and we think that our, our schedule this year has done has done that. It's conference uh, schedule take two now. You've gone through the first half of the round robin. Now you start the second round robin with this trip to Willamette and Linfield. Uh, actually, you finish off, I should say, the 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 the, the, the first round with this trip because you'll finish with right. them at the end of the season at home. Right. Uh, how how do you kind of get everybody focused here? Because now everyone's seen you twice for the most part, except for this trip, and everyone has got a previous game under them, so there's memory. And how do you thus get the guys kind of focused on, especially the younger ones who who haven't been through this as much, focused on understanding, hey, these guys now know us. This isn't about surprising them with anything. It's about execution. Well, I think, uh, you know, as as everyone does, you're, you're looking at your previous contests and, and, you know, looking at your, your execution, uh, areas that, that you didn't uh, – 
execute the way you would have liked or, or things that they may have done well um, that you can learn from and, and adapt to. Um, you know, I don't think we've we've ever really been a program about surprises. You know, we kind of do what we do, and and um, and so it's just about execution. And uh, for us, uh, we're trying to, to to really build that uh, on the defensive end of the floor. Um, you know, we've got uh, inexperience in the sense of no seniors, but we have we have juniors that have have been around the block. And by the time you get to the second second cycle of conference play. Um, you know, our, our expectation is, is very high with uh, our level of discipline and, and execution, and, um, you know, that, that's what's going to help us be successful down the stretch here. Well, it's fascinating to see how this has evolved. Uh, the Whitman-Whitworth battle has always been good. Uh, we've always enjoyed that. Uh, but it seems like it's taken on a whole new point of view now, and I can't wait for that game coming up back at your place uh, on February 6th. Uh, I think certainly it'll be a different conversation in Spokane. What's the goal, though, at this point? Is this to go out and try and get them and possibly hold home court advantage? Or is it the best position yourself for a chance to to get into the NCAA tournament and do some damage there, as they kind of did to break through a couple years ago? Well, I mean, our, our, our number one goal – each year is, is to win the Northwest Conference um, regular season championship. That obviously sets you up for home court advantage in the conference tournament. And, um, you know, we, we've, we've been fortunate to, to recruit at a level and, and um, build teams at a level where, you know, we think every time we step on the court, we have a chance to win. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's what we do each, each night out. And, um, you know, it's not really about uh, March right now. It's, it's about, you know, we'll land on Friday and Linfield on Saturday. And when we get to when we get to Whitman at our place, um, obviously, you know, we'll have a great opportunity in front of us. So um, we got to take care of business um, prior to that, and, mm-hmm. and hopefully create those opportunities for yourself. But um, you know, this has uh, become a rivalry that I think is more respected now because mm-hmm. both teams are are. Um, are accustomed to being where they are. And I think, you know, for a long time, even uh, when, when we had the upper hand a little bit early on, uh, people probably didn't give their due to Whitman, um, you know, in, in light of the success we were having. And, and it's just kind of a, uh, kind of a double-edged sword. Sure. Yeah, no, I could, I could see that argument. That's, that's a pretty fair argument. Is there anything about this team we're, we're not seeing that is so important? Well, I mean, I think uh, the thing that that will really come to light as we come down uh, the home stretch here is <clears throat> just the experience that, that we gain in um, in light of of Jordan uh, Lester's absence, and, and then additionally, um, you know, we've had two other rotational guys, Kevin Crosno, who broke a, a bone in his wrist uh, in early December, who's been out, and, and C.J. Johnson, who was a part of our rotation last year. Um, who hasn't played all year due to injuries sustained in, in a, a car accident earlier uh, in November. And so, you know, those guys are, are just now kind of reaching the point where they can get back again, and, um, and, and that will give us a little added depth and experience. And, and um, so we're really excited about um, being able to add that, that size and, and uh, experience to, to the group we've had the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's certainly fascinating to say the least. Uh, look forward to watching more of your games. Uh, obviously, a big test this weekend coming up, as we mentioned at Willamette, 
and at Linfield before we even get towards Whitman for the second round. So, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time, as always, uh, to talk about the Pirates. Uh, someday we will get out there to see games, but we love seeing you when you come to Vegas as well. Look forward to your, your return trip there. In the meantime, we always give coaches the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? Well, just uh, looking forward to uh, a great home stretch here. I think uh, the Northwest Conference has a, a really uh, great brand of basketball, and I would encourage uh, those in the Midwest and, and East Coast to, to tune into some of these games, uh, even though they're late at night, and, and check in on, on, on the Whitworths and Whitmans and, and Linfields and UPSs of the world, and uh, really excited to, to, to attack this home stretch. Very good. Coach, good luck the rest of the way. We look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks a lot. Absolutely, man. Logie joining us here on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline. Again, the Pirates on the road here, and then uh, they've got a good chunk of – oh, they get, repeat everything. So half their games uh, on the rest of the way will be at home after this weekend. Now joining me on the City of Salem Hoops. Well, that thing repeated by accident. Sorry about that. Uh, thanks to catch Coach Matt Logie for joining us. Uh, you know, Whitworth, without Lester, I think it's a different team. How good are they? Well, well, it'll be determined. By the way, he pointed out, watch games on the West Coast. If you feel, listen, it isn't that bad. Women's games will start around 9 o'clock. Men's games around 11 o'clock, uh, I believe, uh, give or take. I've been watching them on Amazon Fire app. You, if you, a lot of conferences in Division Three, specifically if they happen to be with Stretch, but I think some others are starting to, to expand this as well, have apps that you can download on Roku or Apple TV or Amazon Fire or whatnot. I watched Whitman Whitworth on my on my 46-inch big screen TV in my living room. It was awesome. It's, it's great how much technology has moved forward. But I will stay away from having the conversation about not being able to watch games on demand. We'll get to that, I'm sure, another time. All right, we're running late. This show's going to go well into uh, overtime here. we still got another interview to go. Marymount Women's Basketball coming up next. We will discuss with them about defense. Ashley Rogers got another pretty good team on her hands. But what can they do? defensively. Great article on d3hoops.com this week. We'll talk more in depth with her coming up. You'll listen to Hoops. Oh, and by the way, after the interview, we'll wrap up the show. No break in between. Um, you're watching Hoops. Hope presented by d3hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC studios. More Hoops will after this. I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school. I got the presidential scholarship, which was huge for me. I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division Three. I did receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I play because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual, sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org.
We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. We're going into overtime here. As a, we're just ticking into finishing off two hours and sneaking into another. Uh, we won't go much more than 30 more minutes, I don't think. I actually don't remember how long the next segment goes for, so I probably shouldn't say that tremendously. Um, but at the end of the next segment, a reminder, we will then wrap up the show. A lot to talk about. We're not going to get to all of it. We will be back on the air Sunday, 7 o'clock Eastern time. And don't forget, the marathon show is coming up on Thursday, February 1st. On Sunday, we will recap Whatever happened at the NCAA convention, but we'll talk more about that later. Back into the Mid-Atlantic region, back into women's basketball, a team that is just outside the top 25 and probably should be there as Marymount right now. Remember, they went all the way to the Sweet 16 last year and gave St. Thomas a heck of a game out there in St. Thomas. This is a team that brought back four of those five seniors, and, and they're off to a tremendous start. Just beat Christopher Newport recently in the Centennial, er, in the Capital Athletic Conference, in their final season in the Capital Athletic Conference. What is to make of the Saints. Well, great article written in the Mid-Atlantic Region Report this week about the defense gave me the perfect talk conversation to have with their head coach, Ashley Rogers. She joined me today, and really, it's a great conversation, a little bit in-depth, about what makes the Saints tick. Now joining us on the City of Salem, Hoopsville Hotline. It's the head coach of the Marymount Women, 
Ashley Rogers. Coach, thanks for taking the time, and I uh, hope you're well. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, yeah, again, 14-2 and two on the season. You're having a tremendous season. It's, it, it seems to be a little bit synonymous. 20-plus uh, win seasons the last two years uh, always have been competitive. But it feels like this year you guys almost feel like you have a chip on your shoulder or something. There, there's something on another level from the outside. I don't know about a chip on our shoulder. I think that we, um, we're we just trying to pick up where we left off from the previous season. Uh, you know, we had four of our five starters returning this year, and they were excited. They were excited to be back on the floor. They were excited to mentor and lead our freshmen um, who really came in and um, picked up quickly what we were trying to teach as a coaching staff, but also did a really nice job um, of following the example of our upperclassmen. And um, I'm I, with my group this year, they're, they're very competitive, especially that starting five. So, you know, any opportunity, you know, the next game they're really looking forward to, whether um, conference or non-conference, you know, they're just excited to be out on the basketball court. And we've got to remember, this is a team that went, you know, to the you know, Sweet 16, for lack of a better description, had a competitive game against St. Thomas, uh, yeah. at St. Thomas, we should point out. And, of course, beat mm -hmm. Albright and, and Guilford along the way, a really good Albright squad, certainly, as well. Yeah. Um, and then, as you said, bring back four of the five of the starting group. You know, it seems to me, I don't vote on the women's top 25, I don't do regional rankings or anything like that, but it seems like maybe everyone's just still got questions. If... If you were trying to sell yourselves, what would you be selling to, to convince people you're just as good as that team we saw make that run last year? Well, I mean, I think we've proven it with some of the wins that we've had this year. We beat Newport when they were sixth in the country. Um, we beat a very competitive Mary Wash team. Um, we beat Albright, who's had some big wins this year. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I... Uh, we just we just try and focus on what we need to do next for our next game and what I can't control and I tell my girls this, we can't control what others think or how they vote. We just have to go out there and play our game and you know, we want to focus on our game goals that we believe will bring the results that we're looking for and you know, hopefully along the way we can um, pick up some new fans that enjoy our style of play and, and wanna follow us some more. And we'll talk about the style of play in a moment. One thing I notice is your schedule is full in a traditional year of some heavy hitters. Uh, you had Randolph-Macon. You had Albright. Uh, you then had Hopkins on the schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, you then, obviously, conference play includes Salisbury and York, but you also played Stevenson yeah. and Catholic. And as we mentioned, Christopher Newport, granted, conference game with the CNU as well. Some of those teams are a little, let's say, off their level. And and by off their level, we're not talking like they're below 500. They're still above 500, but just not as powerful as, as we've seen in the past. Do you think um, – what, what do those games have presented to you, though? I mean, they're still competitive, but have they been a different style than you've been, than you've been used to with those opponents? I mean, I think with every game, whether we win or lose, we try and say, what can we learn from this game? Um, and – I, I would agree. I think we're seeing some different looks from um, traditional teams on our schedule. Um, you know, Randolph Macon gave us, um, you know, our first loss this yeah. season, and it was um, 
I mean, they're 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 a tough team. Mm-hmm. They don't have a they don't have a lot of depth, but they're a uh, big kid in the middle. Elle Williams. I mean, she presents a lot of issues for teams. Um, and you know, I thought that we didn't come out and play the way we are capable of playing. We didn't start playing the way we were capable of playing until that fourth quarter, and it was just too late. We got it within two, and we couldn't get it any closer with, I don't know, less than 30 seconds to go. So, um, you know, for the girls and, and for the coaching staff, I mean, it was one of those things where you have to come and play for 40 minutes, and it was unfortunate that we had experienced that right off the first game, but in some ways I think that's what has made us better and we were able to go on that run that we did right after. Um, You know, we had another bump in the road with Catholic, but, you know, they're a quality team and we're talking about two good teams that play in in difficult conferences Mm -hmm. as well. So, um, you know, we're all facing difficult competition within our conferences and I try and schedule um, really good teams out of conference so that we're ready to go when we play, you know, any of the teams in our conference, because I feel like at any given night, one of them can, can, you know, bump another team off. So we don't really take any anyone for granted. You know, last night we were playing Penn State Harrisburg and we prepared for them just like if we were playing CNU. It's interesting. You, you look at, at some of these games and you've got, you kind of hinted at it. You've got some different looks. Obviously Hopkins has a new coach, but Stevenson has a different look about them. Uh, Hopkins, not Hopkins, uh, York is sneaky. At one point they were six and four, and I think a lot of people thought they were off. Now they've roared out to an even better record in a certainly competitive. And at the top of this conference, once again, is a dogfight. Marymount, <laughs> you, Christopher Newport, York, Mary Washington, even Frostburg is kind of just knocking on the door a little bit. Salisbury's off, but still competitive. Mm-hmm. You 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 talked about it with Harrisburg. You cannot keep your guard down at any point in time. No, not at all. And especially when you go through the first half of the season um, going undefeated. I mean, we have a target on our backs. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, when you're talking about York and Salisbury, um, you know, I think, though, when we play some of these teams, we take them out of the way that they're capable of playing. And, um, but then you look and York turned around and they played CNU really tight the other night. Um, And, you know, they seem to be hitting their stride really well and we've got to go back to them at their place. So, um, you know, I think it's just kind of those things where, you know, all teams are going to go on runs and how consistent can they be with their runs? And, um, you know, we were really fortunate in the first half of the season that we were able to stay consistent. How important is home court? Uh, I've always said Marymount's got one of the more unique home courts. Now, one of those items that I've always uh, shook my head at has apparently been solved. Uh, there used to be speakers pointed straight into the into the duct system, which always <laughs> cracked me up. But I always thought added to added to the the challenge because it made it a kind of an echoey building that was hard to to deal with. Um, but you mentioned you got to go back to Christopher Newport here. Um, mm-hmm. York yep. has to go back to Christopher Newport, where. How important it is it thus to win your home game and at least have some kind of control of things before you do have to go play that somewhat out of control away game? I think everybody wants the home court advantage, um, but I think at the end of the day, the teams that are able to be consistent and stay successful um, don't look at it whether they're you know at home or on the road. It's it's just another game and it's the next game and it's whether it is home or it's away, you got to focus on what are your game, what's your game plan and what's your game goals. And you can't let 
the surroundings affect how you play. Um, I mean, yeah, we have we have a lot of tough games coming up, but um, we can't we don't we're not going to use it as an excuse um, whether you know we win or we lose. When the Christopher Newport game, win by ten. Uh, a game that uh, I believe Porter was out. F- I don't know if she was out or not for that game. <clears throat> she definitely was. She was okay. It certainly changes their team a little bit, um, but they're still competitive. What did you learn from that win that you guys have been focused on since? I think we learned that um, you know they. they they came in, we, they didn't have Porter, who's, you know, one of their starting players, and she's a very good player. But Christopher Newport is very deep, and they have a lot of threats. So, you know, they have a couple players that they can step in to fill that spot. Um, I think for us it was, it was the mental side. I think we learned that knowing that she wasn't going to be playing that day, we couldn't say, oh, well, this is going to be easier for us. Because it's not. It's always a really great game when we play Newport, whether it's at their place or at our place. And what was really nice to see was when Newport went on their run that the girls found a way to come back and go an even stronger run the next time. Mm. Um, and, you know, for us, we're just, we're just constantly focusing on our defense. We're, you know, our defense is going to create our offense. We're trying to find ways to frustrate and take our opponent out of their offense. Out of their offense. Um, so I was – I was really proud of them in, in that they were able just to not get too high or get too low when Newport made their runs, that we were able to kind of stay even, and, and, and they stuck to the game plan for, for the most part for 40 minutes. Looking at your team, we just saw the article around the, around the region uh, earlier this week, well-written about the, the defense. Interesting comparison to the Bob, Bobby Knights of the world in the <laughs> sense of that you know discipline, um, but you don't, you strive it in the same way. You get it from from a team executing and learning to execute and driving home the execution. And defense for you guys is that execution. Um, looking at the latest NCAA stats, 19th in scoring defense. As the, at the time we talk about this, this could change by the time it airs. But uh, 19th uh-huh. in scoring di- in, in defense, uh, 30th in scoring margin, 14th in steals, uh, 15th in steals per game at 14 and a half. Seventh in turnover margin, 10-plus between uh, your opponents and yourselves. 13 in uh, forced turnovers. It, it really is from your, your sense of it starting at the defense. And, again, a game like Christopher Newport and others, I can see where this can, can be fascinating. Granted, I think more points scored in that CNU game than I would have expected from two defensive teams. But <laughs> where, where does the defense start, if that makes any sense? Like, where's the, where's the key? Where's the, the click point on, for you guys defensively? Oh, we focus a lot just on specifically, um, it starts with us with the on-ball defense, you know, their point guard. Um, I think that I have one of the uh, best on ball defense players around with Tiffany McQueen. Um, she can just really frustrate the heck out of the other point guards. And it's pretty fun to watch when she's turning them and she's just able to pick their pockets and go the other way for uh, um, a layup. But her, we, not just her, but with, uh, with all of them, I mean, we start on with just one-on-one drills and we build up every practice, one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three. And, we're just focusing in on how can we 
take them out of their offense? How can we make that ball handler uncomfortable? Um, and from there, you know, as I mentioned, we just keep building up. Now we add, we're adding that second defender, and then we're adding that third, and we just constantly are going and focusing on and, and working our rotations. Um, who's going to be help? Where where are we where should we be in rebounding position when the shot goes up? Um, limiting them to one contested shot, you know, all of those things. You know, to me, it's something that has just been ingrained in, in me since I was a player and playing for Coach Finney. So um, I could probably, you know, do this in my sleep, I feel like, at this point. But they, I mean, the girls know walking into the gym, like, they have a pretty idea of what our practice is going to be like that day because I'm just a big believer in reps. And the drills may be a little bit different, but it's not going to be much. And I think that giving them that consistency and understanding what they're going to expect when they walk into the gym just help men- mentally prepares them for the for the practice. To much to, to to a lot of the degree, you're continuing the Marymount tradition, and, and obviously that's easy to say when you're you're a player who played under uh, Bill Finney and of course the defenses that he brought to the table. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean every player who coached or played under somebody has the same mentalities. But it seems like you do, and it seems like you've taken it maybe to another level and, and kept that tradition that Marymount's going to be a, that stingy defensive team no matter who's coaching. Well, I mean, I think I have a lot of invested because I did play for Marymount, and I do want to keep the tradition alive. And I think that a lot of – I think that my players have bought into that, you know, you walk into the gym and you see women's basketball banners, and that's that's the goals that we talk about. I mean, they want to be a part of that history. They want to be able to walk in the gym after they graduate and say, hey, I contributed to that. And that's really special to them, and that really means a lot. Um, and I was just very fortunate with um, – I've been very fortunate all my life with my coaches in that um, I've had coaches that have kind of been very similar in teaching the fundamentals, stressing defense, you know, and stressing the importance of what it means to be on a team and how to be a team player and that everyone has a role from your starting point guard to, you know, your to your last kid on your bench who's been injured all season. Everybody can bring something to the table. Um, and I think that what Coach Finney did – when I was a player, he was a very difficult coach to play for. But, you know, it's one of those things that's after the fact that you realize, wow, I mean, he did so much for me. I mean, all the time that, you know, goes into coaching, you know, it's not just showing up for games and practices, but it's all of the preparation that's put into it. And that's what I'm trying to instill in my girls now with our practices. It's the preparation and it's the, the things that we're doing in practice that is going to prepare you for the games. So they don't seem as difficult. Or when you are put in pressure situations, you've already experienced that in practice. When you talk about um, who's the help, who's the slide, who's in what position at what point, and when the ball does whatever, you, people talk about a basketball IQ. But it seems to me you 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 want players or you get players to be even more cerebral. That 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 not only are they thinking about things that maybe they're not traditionally thinking about, like if the ball is two passes away, where I'm going, where am I going to be? But at the same time, it's almost an unconscious brain thinking exercise for them that they just know where to go. It's not about physical; it's about mental. Yeah, I mean. Um, I think that all of my players could tell you that their freshman year is very eye-opening. Um, <laughs> some of them are deer in headlights because of how much um, 
We talk about having specific rotations where you need to be. And you can tell really quickly who are the overthinkers because when they're trying to be on the court and the ball starts in one spot and it quickly moves the other, they're still standing in the same spot and they're just looking and watching. And then I blow the whistle and they look at me and they're just like, I didn't move, did I, coach? Nope, you didn't move at all. <laughs> but mentally, their brain was just running, you, and you could tell. And um, I think that's what's been the most fun about it. You know, at the time, it's very, it can be very frustrating for players, um, but I think that's what's been the most fun about it, to watch them grow um, from their you know, freshman to their sophomore year. Nicole Viscuso is one of is the story and my example all the time. I mean, you know, she came off the bench, you know, occasionally got some okay minutes, and then she busted her butt her her um, the summer going into her sophomore year. Um, but it wasn't just that individual attention on her skills and her fundamentals her, that she worked on. It was her needing her whole freshman year, and then doing that in the summer and coming in that made her such an explosive player for us, such an impact player for us, because she needed that whole year just to really understand what the rotations were about, what it meant from being on ball to help to deny, all of those things. And you could just tell once she got it, she never looked back. And, you know, then I've had other players who've come into the system, like Tiffany McQueen and Leah Hurst, who came from really strong high school programs. And you can tell that they had coaches that had – um, similar defensive philosophy as I did, and they, they came in with uh, high basketball IQs, and they didn't really need a lot of time, and they kind of just jumped in. So um, it's interesting to see those, those different um, the backgrounds that when they come in and, and how quickly they're able to adjust, and then some who need a little bit longer. But, you know, the players that stick with you and are willing to um, – you know, stay with it and fight through it until they can figure out. I mean, those are the kids I want on the team. Hmm. Now, you know, it, it, taking a year, you know, like I use Nicole as an example. She, she needed her whole freshman year. You know, that, that's, that's a long time. But, um, you know, I'm willing to stick with them if they're willing to stick with us because I know the light bulb's going to go off and I know that they're going to get it. And once they do, you know, it's really paid off for us because, I mean, look at our last two seasons building up to now and, and where we are now. We're hoping just to continue and, and move forward with it. You almost can't be angry at a player if you know they're thinking it. They just haven't gotten their body in gear yet. Like the synapses haven't gotten from the brain processing to the brain executing with the body necessarily. You almost can't get angry because you know they're, they're thinking it through. You know that they're starting to grasp it. They just haven't gotten to the execution side. Yeah, then no, you can tell that they're really trying. And then when they come in and they want to watch film and they want to do some chalk talk, I mean, I mean, you can't ask for anything more with that. But, you know, you feel a little bad. Cause you, you, and I, I just chuckle a little bit inside because it's like you're going to get this kid. You just have to trust me that at some point it's going to happen. It may not, it may not happen as quickly as one of your other teammates in your class, but it's going to happen yeah. at some point. Uh, you mentioned uh, the players. We'll, we'll mention them again. Hurst has 2.9 steals a game. McQueen, 2.7. Uh, Gabrielle Haddad with 1.9. Uh, Nicole Vicuso uh, also with 1.9. And, and Reagan Lower with 1.8. That's five players with practically two steals or more a game. You play a very aggressive defense. You get a lot of steals. You get a lot of hands in the passing lane. If you read the article, you guys are striving for a lot of tipped passes, as it were. But you don't mm-hmm. tend to foul a lot, about 17 a game, which is the same as your opponents. And I know officiating in the Mid-Atlantic region is probably one of the more inconsistent I've seen in women's basketball. How are you able to execute such a, such a 
tough, aggressive defense, yet not commit a ton of fouls? Uh, well, I think it goes back to, you know, starting with that own ball pressure. And um, if we can frustrate and, you know, force um, the ball handler to maybe get a little out of control, dribble with their head down, that's where us working on those rotations and, you know, finding those passing lanes, or at least as we, you know, we have, you know, we have a game goal. We're striving for 45 deflections a game. Um, if we're doing that, we feel like we're doing a really good job. Um, you know, we really work hard on keeping our hands off. We really work hard on walling up around the basket. Um, the girls, um, I think at this point, they all should have towels with their own name on it because we keep towels in our hands a lot. Um, just to try and you know simulate that you can't keep your you got to keep your hands off and when we mm. say um, keeping your hands straight up you got those towels in your hands and we're working on our verticality and, and keeping keeping those hands up so that we're not coming down um, uh, when players you know right. are getting close to the basket yeah. and going in hard for layups. Yeah, that's the trickiest one. A lot of people think they're they're straight up, and in reality, you watch the video back and you see their arms break. Um, that's a tricky one. You got nine games left in the regular season before conference tournament. Uh, get started. Uh, four of those will be at home, five on the road. you got St. Mary's and Salisbury up ahead at home, then York on the road, Southern Virginia on the road, and then Christopher Newport on the road. That's just the next five. Really challenging next set of games, not only <clears throat> obviously the next five and the finishing nine. I, I kind of know what the message to the team is, but what, what is the goal here beyond just game to game? <laughs> well, you know, honestly for us, it is just focusing on the next big game and the next big game for us is Saturday at home against St. Mary's. We, um, I mean, we, we talked about, you know, beginning of the year about our, our season goals and they really don't change from year to year. Um, but focusing on the next big game and hitting our game goals with, you know, our deflections and our, our, the points that we're willing to give up or we're going to work hard not to try and give up. Mm -hmm. I should say, um, Focusing on those game goals is really what we're trying to hit those marks in, in practice so, and, and working towards. So we're really trying not to get ahead of ourselves and focusing on Saturday. I know this has been a long interview, but I appreciate the time. Before we let you go, though, we should point out, last year in the CAC from Marymount, it's got to be a little bit bittersweet. <laughs> uh, it is, you know, and I, I played at Marymount and played in the CAC, yeah. so I've got a lot of fond memories of it. But there's a new challenge ahead, and we're looking forward to that. But we're not there yet. I'm going to focus, right. on, oh, I know. focus on this year. That's why I saved it for the end. Uh, Coach, appreciate you taking the time. Uh, fascinating Thank insight you. on your team. And, again, if anybody gets a chance, go read the article. As always, we give the coach a final um, thought. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuning in? Dave, as always, thank you for all you do for us. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Coach. Appreciate it as well. Uh, good luck the rest of the way, and we'll, I know we'll talk soon. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Absolutely. Ashley Rogers joining us from Marymount and the team again off to a oh no, off to a tremendous start. It's four, 14 and 2, 9 and 0, nine games left in conference. Now joining us on the City of Salem Hoopsville Hotline. It's the head coach of the Marymount. It did it again. Can't get it to figure that out. Ah, we got a little glitch there. We'll figure it out. But uh, thanks to Coach uh, Rogers for joining me on Hoopsville earlier today. Appreciate her taking the time. Fascinating team there at the Saints. Um, the CAC race, once again, even more challenging york has come on christopher newport's there you can't count out mary washington salisbury not having as great a season as we got used to a few years ago but still pesky hey should be a good race should be fun to watch men's side not as good a race i don't think i think york and christopher newport are kind of the the top 
and then Salisbury and then everybody else. But how about the drop off from St. Mary's men's basketball, folks? Remember when they used to be synonymous with 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 top teams in the Mid Atlantic? Having a really rough season at St. Mary's. Don't know what's behind it, but uh, just of note. All right, so we're wrapping up the show here. We got to get going uh, and wrap this baby up because we are well into overtime and we need to get uh, some other business taken care of. Don't forget, we'll be back on the air Sunday, 7 o'clock Eastern time, and, of course, uh, back next Thursday, 7 o'clock Eastern time as well. Uh, looking at the calendar, pretty much status quo, 7 o'clock, uh, two weeks from tonight, though. <laughs> it will be uh, tonight, two weeks from today, will be the Hoopsville Marathon Show. Already, um, during some of those segments, putting some of our show together, we've already got some pieces in place, looking to get some more uh, in place as well. That show will be a 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. show that is on February 1st, two weeks from the night. That gives you a sense of how much time is only left in this season, folks. It feels like yesterday we started, we had a long amount of time. I feel like last week I said, you know, you know, there's a lot of season left. Uh, and yes, there's a lot of games left. But in reality... In reality, uh, in six weeks' time, we're going to be in the in the in the neck deep with conference playoffs, and talking. And in seven weeks' time, talking about who's in the NCAA tournament doesn't. It sounds like a long time, but in my book, I know it's not a long time out. Anyway, so uh, the next few Sundays at seven o'clock, outside of the marathon on the first, we're at seven o'clock. Then on Super Bowl Sunday, we have traditionally done a show earlier in the day. I think this year we're going to change that and we're going to move it to monday the 5th instead so that will be a, a little bit of a change in that plan as well so no show on super bowl sunday uh and then right back to our normal seven o'clock shows the rest of the way i cannot stress enough to check out d3hoops.com and the stories excuse me that we've been putting together to, uh this week especially but in general there have been great stories no one read the kenny doss story from manchester a couple weeks ago it's worth going back and reading um it's really worth it. I, I definitely stress that you go there. And the story about Claire Marburger, she reached out to us about this uh, from from uh, Luther, uh, who transferred from Central. Outstanding story. Please read it. All about clinical depression. Uh, it is worth your time to be sure. Didn't mention this at the top of the show. Should have mentioned this at the top of the show. How it took us this long to mention it, I don't know. Benedictine and Texas Tyler are going to be applying to Division II. Uh, we got a break with the Benedictine story. They have been open about it, I think, last April or something, or, or sometime nearly a year ago. They announced that they were going to be looking into the decision. Uh, eventually, the Board of, of Trustees um, voted in favor of the idea. The student paper has one version of accounts saying that there's a group on campus who is against this. We have a quote from an official saying that there was a committee put together that endorsed the idea. Um, we'll see what happens at Benedictine and, of course, Texas Tyler. Reached out to both conferences for comment and what is the future going to hold, as it were. Uh, we don't know yet. So here's the deal. If Benedictine and or Tyler are accepted, and there's no guarantees here. You might remember Mississippi College was denied entry, their first attempt at the at moving to D2. If they are if their application is first accepted, that's the first step. And for every application, you need a conference. We believe we were told we we'll confirmed Benedictine is the GLVC. I assume that Texas Tyler is the Lone Star um, based on geography. I don't know that for sure. Um, if their application is accepted, we will find out in early February from a, a list that is produced by the NCAA, along with maybe any other D3s we don't know about. Um, they then go through a multi-month process of a site survey 
investigation and an in-depth look at their applications and lots of Q&A and all of that stuff. And then sometime this summer, my personal feeling is it'll happen probably in June. I'm basing that on the academic calendars for and, and really budgetary calendars for everybody turning over on July 1. Doesn't mean it is going to happen in June. I'm just taking this as my own what if. Uh, I would assume by June we will find out if they are accepted to Division Two. If that were to happen, those schools will then play a Division Three schedule next year, but not be eligible for NCAA postseason participation, i.e. championships. Um, the question then becomes, what do the conferences do? What does the ASC do? What does the NACC do? We've reached out. Nobody has given us a definitive answer to that, which is, I, I think, not surprising and maybe semi-surprising. I say not surprising because they probably aren't playing too much of the what-if game or going too far down the road until they know if the application has been processed that or accepted. And, and really, not even the application, but acceptance into Division II. If they, But I'm also surprised because... I would think you'd want a what if. Now, I don't know how much Texas, Texas Tyler has been telling the ASC about this. I do know the NACC has been t or has been well informed by Benedictine, so they've they've known this has been coming, as it were. Um, so the ASC basically said, uh, not prepared at this time to provide information about the University of Texas Tyler um, at, and its membership with the conference. The Council of Presidents is scheduled to meet during the NCAA convention, which we know is taking place now, with several membership items on their agenda. When it's appropriate, the conference will publicly address the development, uh, developments regarding members. So we're going to have to wait for the ASC, not surprisingly, probably talking about it this week. As far as the uh, NACC, we basically got a no comment. Really, they referred us back to Benedictine about conference questions. Um, that didn't help us. We replied back that we had reached out to Benedictine and we were looking for conference questions that Benedictine had referred us to the conference about. And we have not heard back after that. So don't know what the NACC will do. Let's just say what if is they both stay in the conferences. They both play conference schedules, Tyler and ASC and Benedictine in the NACC. Uh, the question becomes, are they eligible for the conference tournaments? Who knows? There's no rule that says they can't. You can always have a backup plan. Remember the SCAC a couple years ago had a team win the uh, conference tournament, uh, not eligible to go to the NCAA tournament because they were still transitioning to become a, a full Division Three member. Well, as a result of that, Trinity, Texas went because they were the one who won the regular season uh, or at least were the backup to that plan. So I, I don't see either conference not being able to do that. You, go ahead, let them play. Let the student athletes play for, for conference championships, which I think is in their right. It doesn't. It doesn't mess anything up and then should Tyler or Benedictine win a, a championship that gets the AQ or is is invite is is used for the AQ then have your backup plan whether it be the runner-up um, which seems a little odd who knows maybe it's a regular season champ who knows the idea is that everybody still plays and if you knock off Tyler and, and Benedictine then the AQ is still in play who knows? We have not heard back. We don't know the status. But next year, no matter what, those two programs will play a Division Three schedule. They will not have scholarships in place. It's almost like a transition year that a D3 student would do going up to a higher division to play and transferring. It's almost like they're transferring. They're kind of having this dead year. Then they enter D2. That's when they start handing out scholarships and the whatnot. Uh, none of the recruiting is affected, nothing. Uh, they would just be kind of a, a non-champion Division Three school 
Uh, both of them, one of them, who knows? Neither of them will find out in the summer. Again, more on the information, more story on our on our website, d3hoops.com or d3football.com or d3sports.com. Uh, we will certainly have more on these stories as they follow up. Uh, I have a feeling we'll get much more information as the, as the process moves forward and keep everybody in the loop. Personally, I'm sad to see both of them go. You heard Polly Thomason say it in her interview today about Tyler. Uh, I, I don't know if the grass is greener. Mississippi College seems to be doing well, but we all remember McMurray, too, who absolutely failed miserably at this idea. We don't talk about Lincoln, or Lincoln's not discussed anymore on a national scale after they made their move. Uh, the moves from D3 to D2 have resulted in a lot of those programs disappearing off the radar for whatever reason. A lot of money involved. And personally, I'm going to miss Benedictine. It's it. They are one of the original Division Three members. They didn't come in right when Division Three formed, but they came in shortly after that. They founded the NACC. I think they've been tremendous for Division Three, and I and and we certainly know that they've been successful. Apparently, someone they feels that going on to D two is a better idea. So be it. Uh, we'll see what happens if they're accepted, and uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Same with Texas Tyler. I think they're great for the ASC. I think there's a wonderful rivalry there. I think in Tyler's case, they're maybe thinking about moving on to D1. That's just my own personal gut feeling, uh, just by the nature of things. I don't think Benedictine is. I think that's a strict D2 move uh, that I think was really predicated by the GLVC being interested in having a member in the conference out of the Chicagoland area. Um, it's just, just how I've read the tea leaves. So anyway, Benedictine and Tyler moving on to D2. If their applications are accepted, and then if the NCAA slash Division II accepts their membership. Remember, a lot of people apply for Division Three. doesn't mean they get accepted either. Uh, speaking of which, we'll keep an eye out for any new members for Division Three. Uh, we know there's a few. I know there's a few in the pipe pipeline, as it were. We'll see if those applications are processed and completed and find out uh, if, uh, if they're accepted. I have a couple I got my eyes on to see, and that could help change some of the landscapes of conference shakeups that we've been seeing as well. Top 25, I mentioned I didn't get my blog out. I will get it out. A couple things of note. Uh, I moved Wittenberg well up to number three, right behind Whitman and WashU, respectively. It's actually a triple W or quadruple W's, or if you want to count five. I have Whitman, WashU, Wittenberg, Whitewater in my top four, and Oshkosh at number five. Then I have St. John's at six and York at seven. I saw York in person, knocked them down a couple spots, one to make room for some of those other teams. Also, because I think York is good. I really do. I think they're a top 25 team. They're a top 15 team. I even feel that I don't, I have them too high at seven. I don't know if they're that good. Um, I want to see some more. Uh, they're again a top 25 team, but I don't know if they're seventh best, but they're also still winning and are undefeated. And you got to keep that in mind. River Falls, I have at eight, MIT at nine, then Augustana. Uh, MIT is going to drop. Uh, there's a good debate going on uh, on the boards about Augustana's placement versus Illinois Wesleyan's placement. Um, one of the arguments I said was my spot between 10 and 25 is interchangeable. I don't know what my any of the responses were since then. I have not had time to read the boards. But I have Augustana at 10. Honestly, Augustana is a 15 to 17 team for me. But nobody behind them, I feel comfortable being ahead of them. And I got to feel on the spot. So Augustana is at 10. Hamilton's at 11. Hamilton feels high at 11. Williams is at 12. Williams feels high at 12. Wesleyan at 13. Same deal. John Carroll at 14. Just lost to Baldwin Wallace. I feel high with them there. New Jersey City at 15. I feel more comfortable around 20. Uh, Emory's at 16. I entered them into the top 25. I think I put them a little too high. I think they're good, but I don't know about 16. Middlebury. I really like Middlebury. I think they're a really good team. They're coming off of a 3-5 and five stretch where they lost. 
I don't know what to think. I think they're better than the rest of the NESCAC, but they're not playing that way. Uh, I've got them at 17. Platteville at 18. Platteville's playing well. Well, then Stevens Point goes and knocks them off. Ohio Wesleyan at 19. I'm struggling with the battling bishops right now. They're 11 and 5. I saw what I saw in front of me. I saw how they played against Whitman. I saw how they played against Ramapo. They are not playing the same way, and I do not know why. Uh, I need to dive into that and figure out what's going on. Um, Swarthmore at 20. I like Swarthmore, but they got to beat a Franklin and Marshall team, plain and simple. Um, now they will get a rematch. It was at FM. I get all of that, but Swarthmore can't be dropping these kinds of games. And they had a battle with Haverford uh, as well. I think they at least got past that one, if memory serves. I'm um, quickly double-checking that. They're 15th in the country. You can see where I'm different. I've got them at 20. Uh, they did get past Haverford, but in overtime. No, that shouldn't have been a game, Swarthmore. Um, and so I'm a little torn with Swarthmore. Whitworth, I have 21. We've discussed it. Baldwin-Wallace at 22. I like Baldwin-Wallace. They haven't been blowing me away. The win over John Carroll gives me a little more confidence. I have Nichols at 23. Almost dropped them. They had had an injury with their with their point guard, who I think is one of the best in, in at least New England. Um, he's back. They still barely got past their next opponent. I'm a little worried about the Bison. I think they've got two of the best players in New England, uh, or at least in the conversation in New England. And, and so I like them, and I like how they they play. But some of these results aren't making any sense. I have Emory and Henry at 24. I like what they've been putting together. I think wins over Transylvania are now making their stock look better. I think people are underselling Transylvania to much to some degree. Then I have Illinois Wesleyan 25th. And even looking at it now, I feel like I have Illinois Wesleyan too low. But I also have had trouble arguing for Illinois Wesleyan because they've had some results that I just can't grasp, can't put my head around. Now they may be playing the best basketball now from what I've seen. I think Augustana is still better. I got another week, or in this case, four days, to figure out if maybe I want to change my mind on that. I have made a lot of drastic moves in my in my roster or my in my top twenty-five this week. Warburg was fifteenth, gone. Um, I had uh, somebody else high up. Say Norbert at eighteen. They lost to Mammoth. I was done. I, I think I was looking for an excuse. I like St. Norbert. I know they. some would argue their results. I like their results, but the loss to Mammoth, I kicked them. Skidmore was 1-2 and two last week. It kicked them from, from 19th. Um, but I dropped Middlebury from 3-25 to 25 last week. I uh, moved them back up thanks to a, at least a better week. It's crazy in the top 25. It's hard to grasp. I'm sorry I didn't put a blog together this week, mainly because I knew there's a lot to talk about. We'll put one together next week for sure. But right now I got four W teams at the top, maybe five if you count Wisconsin, Oshkosh. Um, maybe W's is the key to this. Uh, Ryan made a comment. We could be talking about seven different teams in the WIAC for top 25. And now we start crossing the bridge. Okay. Are they all good and should be top 25 teams? Or are they only good and they shouldn't be top 25 teams? I don't know the answer to that. I personally think the WIAC's really good, and some of those teams deserve to be top 25 ranked. But when they're losing games on, on all of that, it just makes it a muddy mess. Someone asked why Stevens Point shouldn't be top ranked in the top 25. Well, well, nothing against Stevens Point, but from my point of view, I've seen them in person. They're not a top 25 team, but they've gone out and beaten everybody in the conference to start the conference. They're 11 and 5, 5 and 0 in the uh in the conference. They lost 3 straight to close out 20, 2017. Lost to Augustana, it wasn't close. Lost to Wartburg, Wartburg not looking as good as they were and then lost to Whitman in a game that certainly fought for and I appreciate that, but I I that's Whitman's defense. But they've beaten Riverfall, Stout, Lacrosse, Eau Claire and Whitewater. Now they got Platteville coming up. 
They got Oshkosh coming up. They got lacrosse coming up. Interesting barometer here. To close out the month, they'll also have Whitewater. Can they keep going? So going into this, they were six and five. Now they're eleven and five and five and zero in the conference. Not necessarily a top twenty-five team, in my opinion. But if they keep winning in the conference, then they're a top twenty-five team. And then you look at everybody else and wonder if they are a top twenty-five team. It's just absolute crazy. I got four teams in the NESCAC. That doesn't feel right either. Um, the top twenty-five is crazy this year. Uh, and getting crazier. All right, we're well past into overtime. We've got to wrap this show up. We'll be back on the air Sunday. We can certainly talk about much more. This is definitely one of those scenarios where you almost feel like lengthening the show because there is so much to talk about in Division Three. But to be honest with you, we don't have the time to lengthen the show. We're going to take a several-day break. Be back here on Sunday, 7 o'clock Eastern time with more Hoopsville. Specifically, we will talk about the uh, Northeast, the Atlantic, the South, and the Central regions, and, of course, the NABC uh, Coach's Corner and Ryan will join us back for our Top 25 conversation as well. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate all of our guests who appeared on the show. Thank you for uh, joining in. Uh, Drew asks, have your Top 25 blog out this week at all? Yeah, I'm just not going to get the blog out this week. I've got too much on my plate tomorrow. I will do what next week will do is I will present you what my ballot was this week and move forward from that. Every once in a while, I just can't get it out. This week was a weird week. I didn't expect it to be. It just it just ended up being that way. So I apologize to any of you out there who look forward to it. Um, just, I think us voting later on Monday and me making an effort to do something with the family on Monday got me out of sync into Tuesday. I had some stuff I had to do, and I, I just didn't allow me to get it done. Anyway, I want to thank everybody who did take the time to tune in. I want to thank our guests, too. Of course, James Wagner, the Assistant Commissioner of the CSAC, for joining us and talking about what's going on at the convention. Bobby Hurley from Stevens, Chris Huffman from DePaul, Polly Thomason from Texas, Dallas, Matt Logie from Whitworth, and Ashley Rogers from Marymount. Of course, also thanks to all of the SIDs who helped us out as well with all the content that we needed. Already working on Sunday's show. Looking forward to that. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us hoopsville at D3Hoops.com and join us on Facebook at Facebook.com. Hoopsville. We're also on Instagram at D3 Hoopsville as well. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll be back Sunday night, 7 o'clock Eastern time. Um, you've been watching Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. This show is copyrighted. Any use of this must be cleared through me. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed. Talk to you Sunday night.